What's up, everyone? It's Blue Jay here with JNT250, and it is time for episode 40 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. We are a little bit late getting our episode out, so we're sorry for that. We had some lag issues, but we think they're all fixed, so let's get going with it and let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about MSI this week. We're going to talk about... Uh, well, let, let's talk about EU Masters first, because it's been really interesting to see what we're seeing out of Academy in North America, or just out of any amateur scene altogether. It's really amazing to see that there is a demand to watch these players play. And I, not only is there a demand, demand like people want to see it, but the games are good in general. Uh, any thoughts on what we saw out of EU Masters uh, last week, or the, over the weekend, rather? Yeah, the finals for EU Masters was like, really fun like were there were a so lot of good. the first two games were like super back and forth in game one uh casey had like a 10k gold lead and kind of got a little bit outscaled in their comp because btx btxl had like jinx victor um and like casey's comp was like a twist of fate and uh i think in ophelios even though ophelios scales pretty well it's pretty hard to beat a jinx victor come late game but the games were really really exciting uh it was good to see casey who was like a really They've been a hype team for about like two months now, and everyone pretty much like it was unanimous that they were probably going to be in the finals of EU Masters and probably going to win them. And there's a lot of hype behind a lot of their players and this team in general. So it was good to see them come out and win it. Yeah. So, like you said, game one was great. Game two was great. I will say that, uh, so I I've watched EU Masters before, but like nothing I've really followed. Um, and so I don't exactly remember which teams I was watching, but I do remember that the gameplay was of really good quality. But I would say that even though we're talking about how good these teams are, even in the finals, I would still say it was a sloppy series, which was part of why it was so fun to watch. Um, because it never felt like any game was ever over. And, and it felt like even though there was some sloppy plays going on, it felt like the macro was good. You knew that these teams have a good understanding of what they should be doing and just maybe miss out a little bit on execution. But there's very good signs. If you have good macro, that's the first step to me to becoming pro is you need to know uh, what you want to be doing and be in the right place at the right time and all that stuff. That that sounds really cliche, but is just so true. And that's what I think you get with EU Masters. It's guys that know what they're doing, but just have to refine just a little bit um, some of the things that they're doing and some of their mechanics. But yeah, absolutely amazing. And, and to me, it's it's so crazy to think where amateur and academy has come from and where it is now um i don't do you remember what the viewership numbers were i know they were really high yeah i, I the total viewership if you combined all the various uh language streams that they were running in europe it was somewhere around like 350k it was over that and this french the french stream specifically had 250,000 viewers the english yeah, streams unbelievable. Uh, on twitch and youtube had about like 35k and um, i think if I remember correctly, they streamed the EU Masters Tournament in, like, around 20 languages. So I would assume each of those had their own, you know, clump of viewers. But altogether, yeah. it was 350k plus, which was really, really surprising uh, to see. But That it, is it was, so many viewers for, yeah. for amateur, right? It, it was clear that uh, KC, the favorites, were, like, there was a lot of hype behind them, especially in, like, the LFL, which is the French League. And that's why the French stream was popping off so hard at 250,000. And you compare that to, you know, we were talking about Proving Grounds the week prior and how we thought that was success because that was a success because they had like, what, 25, 30K viewers? And then yeah. the Masters is like yeah. 10 times that. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Um, what I will say, so I looked at like what the Twitch numbers were for the English broadcast and it was around 35K. 
Um, so they had about 25k on Twitch and 10k on YouTube. And so that's why I was really surprised to hear that it was in the 300k range or somewhere around there. Um, there must just be a bunch of different streams. But I think one of the other things that made it so successful was that it was branded as like the French team versus the English team. And so it was like France versus UK. And I've said so many times that I don't think League of Legends is made to be a uh, geolocated kind of esport like it's just not but maybe that's what gets that's what drive things for the amateur scene or 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 for uh academy for example um i think it wouldn't work like let's say for the lcs for example if they tried to geolocate the lcs teams you would just have 10 teams that all want to be part of la right it would be like la cloud nine or la tsm and la this la that and so it wouldn't necessarily work of course there have been other regions before like uh there was clutch gaming that was heavily branded around texas and there's obviously um, some fans that wanted to cheer for that team because they are texans and they are from texas but i don't think the lcs is ready for that but it does show that clearly there is a way to make it work even if it is a very specific way of doing it if that makes sense yeah i think the main reason is is like north america it, it basically like revolves around how, like certain like cities as a hub like los angeles yeah. is a hub for a bunch of things new york city is one of those chicago is one of those you could argue maybe like miami florida is one of those but there's not a lot of them whereas if you throw it over to eu there's a ton of different countries and cities all in europe with a ton of people who are passionate and i think that's why it works so well is because you have these multinational uh, regions and leagues where a whole city, country, what have you, can get behind them. Whereas in North America, it's like, well, we'd all just rather be in Los Angeles because that's where we're Yeah, it's, it's not anyway. that the other cities don't have, uh, like, there, there would be fandom for the New York team and for this team and that team, but it's like everyone would want to be L.A. It's, like, it's almost like it wouldn't be fair. It, yeah. It's a really weird thing, right? And it's most really likely, the popular teams, as in Team Liquid, Cloud9, and TSM, would be those teams and then your bottom tier teams would just get like thrown to the dust and i'm trying to think of like a boring place in north america i don't know like <laughs> one of them being like immortals would be in like pennsylvania be like <laughs> sick have fun over there <laughs> scranton immortals yeah like, any, anyways yeah uh yeah, the only other thing I'll say about geolocation and stuff like that is that I've always said for, for esports, it's more about your region, not about, like, like, it's a North American thing. It's not a, it's not a Canadian American. It's not a, it's not a, a state thing. It's very much like we are an NA org or, or an EU org. And that's kind of how it works at the top level. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's enough about geolocation and stuff like that. I don't want to bore anyone too much. Um, anything else on this series that you wanted to talk about? Yes, actually. It's, I was actually very excited about this series, specifically because this is probably the last series that we're ever going to see Hecarim Udyr matchups. True. Because we talked about it last week, how Hecarim is gotten a ton of nerfs since 10.6, specifically around the tank build. Uh, a lot of his base damages were completely gutted in 11.9 uh, and replaced by AD scalings to match it. So basically, you have to play AD to, be, to even be dealing the same amount of damage that Tank Hecarim was previously dealing, the way that they changed the scalings. So for the most part, I think Tank Hecarim is just completely dead, and I don't think that AD Hecarim is good enough to even play inside of competitive because of how squishy it is. 
Um, so uh, Hecarim's dead. We're not going to be seeing Hecarim Udyr anymore. We, we went through a lot of meta changes and patch changes last week. And we discussed that there's a ton of possibilities for other jungle champions to come out of the meta. Volibear potentially. Uh, Morgana potentially Xin Zhao, even though the stats haven't been very good. Champs like Kindred have been getting a lot of continuous buffs. So I'm actually very excited to see what the jungle MSI, the jungle pool at MSI becomes. We also talked about how Graves and Nidalee, while they haven't necessarily been buffed, a lot of the other champions have been getting nerfed. And due to the junglers at MSI, we could see a potential change in playstyle because of how aggressive Blabber and Canyon are. And from what we know of previous tournaments, it only takes one or two teams to really flip the meta at MSI on its head. You can think back to Season 7 when Caitlyn just became a pick out of nowhere in Week 2 at Worlds. I'm trying to think of other ones, uh, maybe like Season 8, how Kaisa was viewed as the best AD in the game and just became like this whole trap pick in Season 8 Worlds. But my point is... Kaisa's been like that for some time, too. Yeah, well, she's... She's been like she, that for a while. She's, where a, bit, she's, she's a bit OP pick. right now, but... <clears throat> Well, right now, actually, and we saw it in the series as well, Jinx is the, the priority. Oh, they yeah. were first picking it in, I don't remember if it was all of the games, but at least the first couple of games, Jinx was the first pick um, on blue side. Uh, even with Tristana up, and we've seen Tristana be uh, very much uh, a priority pick as of late. And so um, I hope that this is like somewhat a sign of what's going to change as far as AD carries are concerned, because... I've kind of had enough of the Kaisa's Zaya meta, to be quite honest. I think Unfortunately, like though, uh, we do some... have a lot of bot laners in this tournament that are like Senatom Kench slaves. So I'm yeah, not true. excited about that. And especially with yeah. this new tank Senna build that's been floating around, where you go Grasp of the Undying and you go Frozen. Uh... I don't even know what the new item's called, man. It's the, f it's the new Frozen Fist, the one with the slow AoE. Frostfire so, so Gauntlet, that's what sec. it's called, I think. So just to um because you say that they're like and i get why you say it like they're senna tom kench slaves i get that but to me that makes it sound like it's on the players and i know that's not what you're necessarily saying but it just it sounds like we're blaming the players here to me it's very much on balance team to, to blame for that like those champions are freaking op and so like if you're playing in pro play you have to pick the the op player or op champions or else you're kind of trolling right and, and like you are there to win. And so, uh, honestly, in my opinion, I think it's on the balance team that's got to be like, okay, look, it's not fun for anyone to see Senna Tom Kench all the time. Some nerfs need to come in. And the fact that they're broken is very much on the balance team and not the players themselves. Of course, they're going to play what's best, right? Why wouldn't you? JNT? Epic. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Well, what I was saying... Uh, one thing that's also good about certain players at MSI is that they're Kalista players, and Kalista is one of the picks that we're seeing a lot into Senna Tom Kench because you kind of, you know, you have to match the Senna Tom Kench late game scaling with early aggression. Uh, Zven, we saw him whip out Kalista a bunch in North America, and he's previously used that as a pick into Senna Tom Kench to get that early laning advantage. Um, so I think there are, you know, strategies to deploy against the Senna Tom Kench. But especially at this level of MSI where you're facing all the top teams in the world, I do think that it, Senna Tom Kench will just in general be a very strong pick due to how well all these teams play and play around it. Yeah, and Senna can be played with so many different things nowadays as well. It's not necessarily just the Tom Kench that has to be played with it. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's a good chance that we Senna around for quite a while. 
as we've seen her around since pretty much release. So not too exciting with that, but I mean, that's the way it is. Uh, anything else on this series? No, uh, E-Masters was good, usually is good. And from what we said, you know, a lot of the top teams from E-Masters usually end up getting picked up by, you know, various LEC orgs. You know, we, I'm trying to think of back the old Mad Lions before they became a part of the LEC and they were an E-Masters team. That team had like Nemesis, Self-Made, Crown Shot. I think Kaiser was on that team, maybe. And I don't remember who their top winner was, but... If you go back and look at a lot of the previous EU Masters winners and the players on those teams, a lot of them do end up becoming, you know, some of these staple players that we've seen in the LEC. And Adam specifically is, I think, one of those players that most likely will be picked up, um, if not summer split, by the start of next year for sure. He even whipped out his Darius pick again. He was the guy that kind of debuted the Darius uh, and basically, you know, picks it into these like super tanks. Um, he did it in game one against Orn but has done it previously against like Sion and Tank Kragas and stuff like that. So I think he's a good player that will definitely see some time in the LEC sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, and we also saw Arome as well, who, I mean, he yeah. was the top leaner for Mad Lions last year. Like, these are guys that clearly have the skill level to play in the LEC. So, um, yeah, it didn't seem like anyone was too out of place. I would say maybe Tar Targamus, I don't know how to say his name exactly, Targamus. but the support for KC. And then the jungler for Markun. I didn't think it was too impressive either. I think both of them had pretty rough series. But uh, again, I don't watch a bunch of EU Masters, and so I don't want to label these players as bad players just from one sloppy series. But that's the way it is. The other um, name I'll throw out there is just Saken in the mid lane because yeah. I don't think he really got a fair shake in the LEC. He was basically an emergency substitute for Vitality back in spring of 2020 after they had completely overhauled their roster and gotten rid of all their good players pretty much. And, you know, he, he was basically serving as emergency substitute for Melitza, who was, I think, experiencing some, like, visa issues, trying to actually get over to Berlin and participate with the team and whatnot. So I'd like to see him given a, be given another shot in the LEC. I think he's a solid player. I, I don't think he necessarily has, like, the highest ceiling and could compete with your Humanoids, your Larsons, your Caps, like your Niskis, none of those guys. But I think he could be, like, a solid mid-tier player. And he would probably be a, a good addition on a team that's in need of a mid laner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get into MSI. Actually, before we get into MSI, I, I just want to shout out real quick um, to all the people that have been coming back and viewing us on YouTube. We thank you guys so much. And remember to subscribe. We do do episodes every week. Uh, for now, episodes are going to be a little bit wonky with MSI. We'll be sure to fill you guys in on what the schedule is going to look like at the end of the episode. But just keep in mind that every Monday night we're going to be doing episodes. And so please hit the subscribe button if you want to get our content on the regular. Now, MSI groups. Let's get into it. Uh, we wanted to do a little bit of an MSI preview. We're, let's, we're going to go through each group and probably say where we think each team is going to finish. 1, 2, and 3 for group A. And then 1, 2, 3, and 4 for B and C. JNT, I'll let you start us off. What do you want to talk about first? Um, I say we'll start with RNG because I think... A few weeks ago, everybody just kind of assumed that FPX was going to be the team attending MSI just because of how dominant they were looking in the playoffs. They actually previously 3-0'd RNG uh, earlier in the playoffs. And I think going into the LPL finals, everybody thought that it was going to be more of the same because of how well players like Nuguri and Doimby were playing. Um, but basically, the whole series got flipped on its head where RNG was looking really, really good. Uh, Zhao Hu was kind of able to 
neutralized Nuguri to some degree, although Nuguri did do a lot of amazing things early on in the game, specifically with his Irelia. Shahu still did a really good job, you know, playing from behind and clawing his way back into the game. We, as we said before, we saw a bit of LWXD. Guy was running it down a little bit, and Gala was capitalizing on that, getting himself a Penta in the LPL Finals. Uh, but RNG, they weren't necessarily the team that everyone was expecting to be here, but I don't think that means that people expect them to underperform or not live up to those expectations because of how great they did look in the finals and how dominant they were throughout most of the year. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I believe they finished first place yeah, in the regular they're, they're season. They were 14 right? and 2 in the regular mm -hmm. season. Like they were the number one team going in. The only team that was at the time close behind was EDG, and EDG, similar to RNG, kind of got knocked down into the lower bracket earlier on in the playoffs. I think it was by Top Esports, if I remember correctly. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, our RNG was, you know, came out of that lower bracket and challenged FPX really well in the finals. Yeah, and so people have talked mostly about RNG being the second best team in the tournament behind Damwon, of course. Um, I, I, so here's the thing. I agree with that, but I think where people are struggling uh, and pinpointing where RNG should fall and where Damwon should fall is that people have seen RNG struggle a little bit. Right in playoffs, they struggled against other teams, and then we didn't exactly see that out of Damwon. And so I think people are automatically assuming that Damwon is the better team. Now I still think Damwon is the better team, but I, I think that it speaks more to the parity that you have in the LPL versus what you see in the LCK. Um, I just think that there's other teams that are probably just as good as RNG in the LPL, but there's not other teams that are just as good as Damwon in the LCK. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that we saw uh, Damwon just run straight through the bracket and they 3-0'd uh, just about everyone, I believe. I can't remember. But let's just say yeah. they didn't struggle. Let's put it that way because I don't mm -hmm. remember exactly what records they had. They 3-0'd they, um, they uh, they, they all their games. Yeah, and so that's why I think everyone's heavily favoring Damwon, and rightfully so. But again, just because RNG didn't have a clean slate in the playoffs doesn't mean they're a weaker team necessarily. It just means that they have more stiff competition towards the top end of of their um, of their region. Uh, with all of that said, I still think that RNG is going to be going to be very exciting to watch because they do have a wacky LPL kind of style where they play a bunch of crazy things. We talked about Zhao Hu, who's been around forever. Yes, he used to be a mid laner, but he will whip out. Like we looked up some of his, the champions that he's played this split. He's played nine Lucian games with a hundred percent win rate. He is looking to shit on people in the top lane, and that's something that's really exciting to see. And well, I, I just don't think that this team is going to struggle at all in, in in their group. I think that they should just win all of their games and finish with a perfect record in the group stage. Yeah, I, I do expect the same for RNG. I, I don't, I'd be very surprised to see them drop a game. But to just kind of double back on this point of RNG versus Damwon, just to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit for Damwon, and obviously the situation I'm about to bring up is nowhere near the same thing, but Cloud9 in spring, 20, spring 2020 talked about how when you're just dominating people so hard, you can get, you sometimes can get a little bit overconfident you're not losing as many games, so you're not able to identify and fix your mistakes. And that can sometimes hurt you down the road. And do I think that Damwon is going to struggle like Cloud9 struggled in summer 2020 at MSI? No, I don't think that's the case at all. But I do think that, you know, Damwon this season probably hasn't been put in a lot of terrible situations. 
and at you know at the same time probably aren't as practiced in terms of getting out of those situations as a team like RNG is who dealt with a lot of dealt with a lot of struggle in the LPL playoffs having a lot of close series and then dropping to the lower bracket and having to claw them claw their way back into the tournament and I do think yeah. that can be an advantage for a team who's dealt with adversity and has come back from said adversity as opposed to a team that, while is still very, very good, I, again, I, I'm not trying to say that I think Dam One is just going to like shit the bed at MSI, but you know they haven't lost a lot, and that can sometimes be a problem for teams when they don't know how to identify and learn from their mistakes as quickly as other teams are doing. No, it's a very good point because it brings up that argument of if a team is so good and they're used to playing from ahead all the time, what happens if they start to fall behind? Or there's the argument that, who cares because they never fall behind anyways, right? There's a couple of ways of looking at it. And so I think it's a, it's a very valid point here that RNG has dealt with that adversity and playing from ahead and from behind and playing just about every kind of style you can play because they try so many different things. And so you have a lot of variety coming in from this team. With that said, yeah, the lineup looks pretty good top to bottom. Uh, I, I'm still, I, I think I mentioned this last week, I'm really excited to see Wei. He's he's mm -hmm. one of the guys I'll have my eye on the most. There's been a lot of hype around this guy, and while, yes, I have watched a little bit of LPL here, I can't say that I've watched all of LPL, and so I feel like I've missed out a little bit, and I, I hope that I get to see exactly what everyone was uh, getting all hyped up for him about. And then in, in the bot lane, Gala was ridiculous. Gala and Ming looked great in, in their final, and yeah, th that's another team that, I or another bot lane i suppose uh, that looks absolutely amazing and just yeah i think that uh rng is going to run over uol and penta pentanet.gg yeah ming ming's been like i feel like ming is one of the least talked about supports like ever because yeah. he's been like a top two support in the lpl for the better part of like four or five years at this point you know he, he was the guy that came in uh after or I guess I think it was in season six after, you know, RNG became RNG and wasn't like Starhorn Royal Club anymore. And I just feel like he's been criminally underrated throughout most of his career because we have seen other LPL teams rise up and, you know, do better than them. FPX with Crisp in season nine, he got a lot of praise. And I think Ming is deserving of a lot of praise because of how good he's been. And with Uzi retiring earlier or at the end of last year, I think people were wondering if, Ming was going to be able to be that guy to bring up another AD carry and still compete at the top level. And yes, he is. And Gala is also performing like a top AD right now. And I just think that Ming deserves a little bit more praise because I think he's a really great player. And like you also mentioned, Wei is, I think, a really cool player to watch at this tournament. Those are the two that I'm most excited for for RNG are Ming and Wei, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Should be really fun to watch them. Let's talk a little bit about UOL and Penta. I, I think it's fitting to talk about these teams together because it's really, in my opinion, and I'm sure it's the opinion of most people, it's really which one of these teams is going to get out of the group, right? Mm -hmm. Which one is better than the other? Because I think pretty much everyone has these teams as worse than RNG. Who do you think, JNT, is getting out of this group with RNG? I think it'll be the Unicorns of Love. Uh, it they are fairly practiced internationally. They were at Worlds uh, 2020 in the plans last year, and they did, you know, they played pretty well. They took a game off LGD, if I remember correctly, in the group stage. Uh, they actually made it out of plans after 3 twoing super massive, if I remember correctly. Um, but they did a solid job at Worlds. They even had a couple close games uh, in group stage against your teams like Top Esports, uh, 
DRX and FlyQuest. Their, I just remember like one of those UOL versus FlyQuest games. I think it was the first game of that group. It was like a complete banger where like PoE was like, I think he had like 13 kills on Syndra or something 1v9 like that. Yeah. 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 That was a really exciting game. Um, but for the was most that part. Was the game that Solo ran it down? Was it that game or I was that a different so. game? I, I think it, it might have been. Where he, they won a game, but he, he had like nine, nine deaths. deaths or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is coming back to me now. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, yeah, but pretty much this is the same roster that was at that Worlds tournament. The only difference that is that they have is Lodic in the bot lane for Sanpez. Um, basically, it kind of seemed that we didn't we don't really know because it, it's not like out there. But Lodic kind of came in to this lineup with only three games left in the regular season. Uh, but UOL just continued to play very well in the uh, the CIS region, and they came out. They have the same, pretty much as I said, the same roster, Boss, Ananasek, uh, Nomans, uh, Lodic now as AD, and then uh, Gadget as support. Um, Nomans is like, he's probably the most exciting, one of the most exciting players from the wildcard regions just because of how, uh, what's the word, unique all of his mid lane picks are. He doesn't play the traditional mid lane style. His pocket pick is the Cassidy that he loves to play into these control mage champions, which is kind of a perfect meta for him. Because he's so unique and he does have that pocket pick Cassidy, which does so well into these control mages if you can survive the early game. And one thing that I think is going to be a super interesting dynamic in this group is No Man's versus the rest of the group. Because if you look at Penta's mid laner, um, he also plays a lot of non-traditional stuff, plays some Echo, plays some Akali, champions that love to get aggressive in the early game and make plays. And same with Kryon from RNG, does play those you know, control mage counter picks as we've seen a lot in the LPL and the LCK with Renekton mid. Renekton mid is kind of this pick that is fairly exclusive to the LCK and the LPL and is used just because of how strong the champion is and how much control you can gain over these mages in the mid lane because of how strong of an early game champion is. How strong of an early game, cha early game champion Renekton is. And I just think that the mid lane dynamic in this whole group is going to be super, super weird because I, I just got this feeling that we're going to see a lot of weird matchups where if you know, somebody picks a control mage, RNG could pick Renekton into it. If you see a control mage into UOL, he could throw out the Cassidy, or we could even see some, like, Echo games thrown into these other control mage picks. And I'm just really excited for this mid lane dynamic because of how, you know, how unique of a player No Man's is. And I think it'll be really fun to see. Yeah, and you mentioned his Cassidy. I just wanted to say his Cassidy. He's only played three games of it this split, but he's got a hundred percent win rate on it. So you could tell, like it, like you said, it is a pocket pick. It's not something you see all the time. But when he plays it, he does win on it. And the other thing that I'll say about UOL is when I look at this team, they're one of the teams from minor regions that you don't look at as a quote unquote free win, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, because they've had so many close games. You mentioned the one with FlyQuest at Worlds this past year. Uh, we've seen this region go toe-to-toe -to -toe, uh well actually it was gambit in season eight against cloud nine we've seen teams from this region give other teams a run for their money uh, from major regions and so i think that's one of the reasons why you can't just discount this team as being a free win and another thing that i'll say about this team from just from seeing them at worlds last year is this team played really i, I guess aggressive would be the right word not not they wouldn't play the way you would expect them to play and, and the, what leads me to remember this is i remember no man's tping bot on his cassidy in two different games level five that's the kind of team this play is or, or kind of team uh what am i trying to say that's the kind of team these guys are they play in a non-conventional way 
you shouldn't be TPing bot as a Cassidy in level 5 to join a fight, but they will do it because they're looking to fight. They're looking to make the game a fiesta, and that's what they'll do. And so that's why uh, I think that there's a lot of variance in their games, and I think that there's a lot of excitement because you don't know what they're going to do. And yeah, and pretty much they will try to play to the level of their opponents, and that's what you're going to get out of UOL. When I look over at Penta, I do, I do not know enough about this team. I will admit it. I do not follow a, a bunch of uh, the Oceanic region. What I will say is it's very difficult for a region to get completely gutted because all of their, well, let's not say all of their players, the solid majority of their players went to North America as they're now NA residents, and they've kind of been left with, we'll say, leftovers. Yeah. That's something that doesn't necessarily bode well for your team. I don't want to write, uh, write them off because I haven't watched a lot of uh, the Oceanic region this year, but it's definitely not a good thing that you've lost the majority of your good players to another region, right? And so that's why that's why I have to put UOL ahead of Pentanet.gg. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it, even if you do, like, yeah, again, we don't want to completely discount them, but it is hard to even put them in the same category just due to how inexperienced the majority of their roster is. And their one player who actually does have a lot of competitive experience, Pabu, I actually just found this out when I was, you know, we're doing our preparation for this episode he actually role swapped only in summer of 2020 from top lane to jungle so kind of a, a a new player in a new role in terms of that and he's their most experienced player and while it is good to have a very experienced player in the jungle position the rest of the team is very very new to competitive league and i can guarantee you that they've definitely not gone up against this kind of competition yeah uh do you want to talk group b uh yeah, I guess we'll just we'll move. If there's right anything the else you wanted to add, go for it. Well, I was just gonna move. say, uh, if for whatever reason, if you don't know, the reason why this team has uh, this group has three teams is because the VCS is unable to compete due right. to uh, pandemic restrictions and everything. So the way that this group is gonna go is the top two teams still get out. So that's why we're kind of harping on that. Unicorns of Love versus Penta is basically the decider of this group. I think we're both of the opinion that RNG is going to go undefeated in this group, and the two games between UOL and Penta are going to be the ones that decide this group. I would say it's even above 99% that RNG gets out of this group. I'll I wouldn't say even... it's 100. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, just so people get an idea of just how favored RNG is in that particular group. Group yeah. B, we got Mad Lions, we got PSG, we got the Wildcats from Istanbul, and we got Pain Gaming. Where do you want to start with this one? Uh, let's start. We'll just go to the top again. Mad Lions, mainly because it's hard to say. Because yes, we saw Mad Lions last year at Play-ins uh, from Worlds, and they disappointed. Yes, but I would argue that Mad Lions. I don't think they have a walk in. Like they don't have a free ride to the next group stage as the number one seed here. Because I'm gonna sound like I'm a Mad Lions hater right now, but I don't think that this team has like as much they don't have a higher they don't have as high of a ceiling as these other number one seeds from the other regions cloud nine damwar and rng i'm talking the main reason i say that is because i think mad lions won the lec first because of their team play and how great they were playing as a team uh, because i do think that the other teams in a sense were struggling when it came to that g2 yes they have amazing individual players but they were looking really terrible as a team and couldn't really find any plays, weren't looking very together. Same in Rogue in that kind of final series. It was kind of Rogue's series to win, and yep. they crumbled under the pressure. Uh, they had a huge lead in Game 5, which they ended up throwing over to Mad Lions. And the reason I think that Mad Lions kind of prevailed in the LEC was because of how good their team play was, not necessarily because, you know, 
their individual players were so good. What's the saying? It's like their their sum is greater than some of their parts. Yeah, some of their parts is greater than or whatever. But yeah, I get what you're trying to say. My whole point here is that all of these teams that are going to be attending MSI, the ones in this group B, and the ones that'll be going you know further on to the Rumble stage, they are also the best teams from their region, and they do have, I would argue, better individual players than this Mad Lions roster. And one thing that I do worry for Mad Lions is how some of their players do stack up against the rest of these teams, even in this group, because I think there are still some pretty solid individual players, specifically on PSG Talon, uh, and even on Payne Gaming, they have, some, they have some experienced vets on that roster. So with Mad Lions, I don't think it's like a, it's a walk in the park for this team. I think, I think it'll be very close. I'm going to predict some tiebreakers in this group, because I think PSG definitely has the ability to take game off Mad Lions, and I even think that Payne Gaming has a chance to take games off any of these teams. So I don't think it's a walk in the park for Mad Lions. This is the group I'm most excited for because I think there's the most parity in this group because if you do look at Group A and Group C, it's pretty obvious what's going to happen, I think. So Group B is the one I'm most excited for. So there's a few things that you said. I want to take this bit by bit here. So first off, are you saying you're going Mad number one and then PSG Pain tied and then Istanbul? Well, to be honest, I don't even know at this point. Because you predicted like, tiebreakers, so I'm, I'm guessing the tiebreakers between... Or I, I, are you saying the Lions would be tied with one of PSG or if, Payne? If, if I had to say, I would I would probably say that PSG and MAD are probably going to be tied for first at the end of the day, going like at 4-2 and two or something like that. And Payne will be like 2-4, and 3-3. Three and three. Unfortunately, okay. I don't think Istanbul Wildcats are going to so the other thing, the other thing that you said was we, we, we talked a little bit about how Mad Lions struggled last year. The first thing off the top of my head there, and I think you'll agree, is that this team is not the same team that we saw last year. They're just not. They have a new top laner. I think Armut has been very, very good. It's been an upgrade over Arame. And who else did they? Oh, El Yoya came in for Shadow. Mm -hmm. And it was really weird because Shadow, I thought, was great all of last year. It felt like maybe the nerves got to him on the international stage where he looked really lackluster because he looked great in the LEC pretty much most of the year. And so I don't know exactly what happened with Mad Lions last year. But one, I will say that their world's performance didn't stack up to the level of play that it should have. Another thing that I'll say is that even though I agree with you, so here's what I'll say about my lines. I do not think they are the best team in Europe. And people will say, well, they won LEC. They're on. That's not how it works for me. For me, and I've mentioned this many times, but I will mention it again, there is variance. To me, I think that Rogue is the better team over Mad Lions. I think Rogue is the best team in Europe. And I think what happened in the finals is you had a case of variance where maybe Rogue was the 60-40, but the 40% chance hit. Something like that, right? Where it's it's not that Matt is a bad team. I just don't think they're the best team in Europe. And so you could argue that Europe isn't sending their best. Now, I don't mind if people argue and say that Mad Lions is the best team. That's fine. It's just not something that I personally think. I think that Rogue is better. And so that's where I think is um, a little bit disappointing for some European fans is that they didn't necessarily send their best team. But again, guys, this team is good. Like, they are not a bad team. I'm looking at their roster from top to bottom, and I think that these are all players that can play on the world stage. Uh, I think they'll be at Worlds later this year. And so, yeah, I, I have this team winning the group. I still think that they're number one. I would go with what I asked you. I would say that if there was a tiebreaker, I'd think that it would be between PSG and Payne, and then Istanbul would be at the bottom. Because uh, I still think that regardless of Mad Lines not being my personal best team for the LEC, I think they're still better than all the teams in this group. And I think they're better than what we saw last year at Worlds. And so I actually have Mad coming out on top as, as number one in this group. Yeah, I, I 
I, I, I'm still fine with that. Like, if you want to predict Mad to be the number one team in this group, I'm all for that, and that's fine. But I do think that this group is going to be the most competitive in terms of teams getting out, specifically as that second seed team. But even, I think, there's competition at the number one seed. And I think you said my point a little bit more eloquently that there is variance in these series uh, if you go back to the LEC playoffs because, you know, I, I, I think I agree with you that I think Rogue was the better team. And unfortunately, though, they did sort of crack under the pressure, specifically in that game five. Um, but I, as you said, Mad Lions is still a really solid team. I think this team is a little bit comparable to your CLG in season six, where, yes, they didn't have the best That's individual. a throwback right yeah, there. Yeah, well, they didn't have the best individual players, but they were by far the best team in terms of their teamwork, their coordination on making plays. The, just the way that this whole team operates is just at a super high level in terms of the plays that they make. And for those that don't remember or just don't know, CLG did go to MSI, MSI finals that year, correct? Mm -hmm. That was the year that yeah. we're talking about? Okay. Uh, Hold on, I'll, I'll just bit to backtrack. I don't think they're that insane that they're going to be making MSI finals, but that is like their ceiling where to perform and to be very good on this stage, they have to be at their very best like they were in the LEC. And do I think that that is what the, is, that's the mad lines we're going to see? No, I think it's more likely that they do regress a little bit and they could struggle in this group stage and then further beyond in the rumble stage. Yeah. And I just want to talk a little bit about the picks, more so specifically in the jungle, because you and I did some a little bit of research on what uh, champions these guys are playing. One of the things that's in the favor for El Yoya in the jungle is that he's been playing some Volibear before there were any Volibear buffs, and he didn't play that much Hecarim and Udyr. And so a, a lot of the, the players that will be affected by the Hecarim Udyr nerfs, I, I don't think El Yoya is necessarily one of them. And so that's another little tiny thing that goes in the favor of Mad Lions. Yeah, uh, I think we're we can throw it over to some other like we'll just quickly run down a couple of these other teams. Uh, PSG is a team again that I'm really excited to see. You can throw it back to Worlds 2020, and they had a really nice Worlds 2020, uh, winning out in the playing tournament and even taking some games off of some pretty quality teams in that Group B uh, from Worlds 2020. Uh, this time, as we mentioned before, they are playing with another substitute. They have Dogo in the bottom, who's replacing uh, Doggo. Yuna. Well, we're going to go with Dogo because that's what we think it is because I don't want like to say Doggo because... But it's just... way more fun to it say is, Doggo. It is. There's just memes that can develop from that. But basically, you know, even on this PSG roster, they still have a ton of tenured players who have played a bunch of international events. Hanabi in the top lane is, was previously on Flash Wolves, has been to Worlds in MSI. Maple in the mid lane, he's like... One of, he was like probably one of the faces of the LMS back in the day on Flash Wolves. And they have Kaiwing in the bot lane, who's basically been at any international event from the LMS or the PCS for like the last three years, it feels like. Um, and I, I think they have three really solid players. They have River, who is actually the starting jungler for their roster, who wasn't able to attend World 2020. So they have their main jungler in now. Um, this is a team I'm actually very excited for because of how well they were playing at Worlds. This team basically... They only lost one game all year in the entirety of the PCS. And yeah. even there are like some decent teams in the PCS, like Machi from Worlds 2020. That's in that's in this league. Uh, Beyond Gaming was the second the second seed out of this uh, region. Who, uh, you know, PSG beat in the finals. My point is that there are some quality teams in the PCS, and PSG Town only lost one game all year to them. And I think that just shows how, again, great of a team they are. And that's why Mad Lions can potentially struggle because their individual players aren't necessarily the best in this whole tournament, but they are going to be playing up 
against all the best teams from all the regions around the world. Yeah, and we saw PSG is not a free win either. Again, I, I need to I need to hammer on this that wildcard regions are not necessarily free wins. Some of the time, yes, but not with PSG. We saw them play really well at Worlds last year. I think they took a I think they went they finished ahead of, of finished, Rogue, did they not? Yeah, they did. They finished third in their group? Yeah, they had two wins Rogue in that fourth. group. They think they took a win off Damwon, didn't they? Somebody beat Damwon, I remember. I can't recall. I think they I beat Damwon, if I remember correctly. And they also had beaten Rogue once. And they did finish They finished first in their playing group uh, at Worlds 2020. And I'm, I'm pretty sure... I will check this after we talk about this. But they took a game off of Damwon at Worlds 2020. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyways, all this yeah. to say that, uh, yeah, this group is not determined by... this. Let's say this is the group that is the most toss-up there could be. Let's, mm -hmm. let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, anything else on this one, or did you want to move on to Group C? Uh, we'll just we'll just quickly go over uh, Istanbul Wildcats. Uh, basically, all of their players are very very inexperienced. Uh, all of their every single player on their team minus their eighty carry hasn't been playing competitively since summer of twenty eighteen, and some of them even earlier than that. Um, I think they're in a bit of a similar situation that Penta is, where they have a lot of inexperienced players that are likely to struggle on the world stage, and you know they definitely. They are obviously a decent team because they won the region, but I do think they will struggle against the rest of these teams. And there's Pain Gaming. Pain Gaming, most people know BRTT. That's the guy that you know from uh, the CBLOL region. Uh, we hope to see his Draven, right? That's his pocket pick. He's played four games of it this split. He's got a 100% win rate on it. This is, again, I'll say it again, he is like the double lift of their region. He is a very well-known player. This guy has a lot of fans, and he's been playing for a really long time. Uh, yeah, so that that's what you're gonna get out of him. And uh, what else? Anything else on this team? Uh, oh, their top laner had 16 different champions, right? Yeah, he has a champion ocean. Bit of a champion ocean. Uh, and the other notable person on Pain Gaming is Tin Owns. Uh, if you're a big Cloud9 or North American fan at that, um, you'll remember him from Kaboom back in season four when they took a game off Alliance, which broke that three-way tie for first place. Really hype. If you were like still following, you know, League all the way back then in 2014. Uh, again, as I just mentioned, this is going to be the most exciting group. I will correct myself, though, because I just looked it up. PSG took a game off of JDG, actually. Uh, not Damwon. Although, JDG also took a game off of Damwon in that group. Yeah. But... Rock, little rock, paper, scissors action exactly. going there. Okay. Uh, group C. Okay. Let's get into Group C. This is the one that North American fans are probably most interested in, obviously, because Cloud9 is in this group. And we talked a little bit, little bit about Damwon before. Let, let's finish on Damwon and get our thoughts out on the table about why this team is so good and why we think they are the favorite. I, I believe we're, we're saying they're the favorite, right? I mean, they I am. But they are, are the you... favorite. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll let you take it away. Where do you want to start with Damwon? Uh, I want to start at the bot lane real quick, just because we were talking about Senna Tom Kench earlier, and one thing that uh, Damwon actually does that no other team is really doing in the world right now is playing a lot of these other Senna plus X variations in the LCK. They were playing Senna Cho'Gath, and they even played a Senna Heimerdinger lane, which was super, super what interesting. What is that? I, I actually I no want clue. to see what that looks like. I know, I'm not a, I know I've said I'm not a Senna guy, I don't like Senna. I want to see what that lane looks like just once, just to see what the hell that monstrosity is, and then never see it again. Yeah, because I, I remember like Heimerdinger was in meta at season eight worlds when Heimerdinger bot was a thing, and Kjarnan was like the main guy who was whipping out Heimerdinger at 
Worlds 2018. And a lot of people didn't like it because it's kind of like brain dead, how you just like put towers down and push the wave. But I actually, I think Heimerdinger is a pretty cool champion. And I would be excited to see if they whipped that out and how that would look because I think it would be cool. Do you know if they played the Senna with Gragas at all? Because I know Barrel has a lot of Gragas games. No, and they... I've seen that. I've seen his Gragas before without the Senna. He is a very good Gragas support player. Mm -hmm. uh, my God, does he make that champion look way more busted than it actually is. But I don't know if I've seen him play it with the Senna. I, I, he, hadn't, he didn't play any Senna Gragas games. I would think that it's probably possible because similar to Senna Cho'Gat, it does have some natural sustain with the kit due to the, the Gragas passive. And it can see us from afar with uh, the barrels, with Q. So I would think it's possible. Uh, they haven't actually done it, but who knows? They could whip it okay. out. Um, and then the other thing, the, the other guy that I think a lot of people are looking at in this group, or, or on this team rather, is Canyon. And, and a lot of reasons why for North American fans is his play style is very similar to Blabber's in that they both like to play very aggressive and the teams like to play around these junglers. So you'll see Canyon play, uh, you'll see him play Nidalee, you'll see him play Graves. He's a very big Kindred player. We've mentioned how Blabber, well, people already know Blabber is a Kindred player as well. So that's something that we might see uh, be high priority jungler, who knows. Um, really, really aggressive in the jungle team, although he's slow paced, I would still say. Uh, just because normally, even though they're playing aggressive, they're usually playing in a way that the other team doesn't have an answer to what they're doing, and it makes for a very slow-paced game where somehow Damwon just ends up with a 3k gold lead at 15 without really fighting. And that's just yeah. kind of how Damwon wins games. Their macro's so good that they just don't lose any advantages anywhere on the map. It's kind of crazy. It's just from like 10 to 15 minutes, their players individually are just so good that they can by themselves get their own laning advantages. And that just allows Canyon to play these champions like Nidalee and Graves and just continuously full clear. And by 10 or 15 minutes, he'll just be up, you know, maybe four to eight camps because of how slow, you know, the lanes are going. And that therefore Canyon's just able to farm on repeat. And since he's playing these champions like the Nidalee and the Graves, they just have so much farming power because of how fast they're able to cycle through the camps. And like we mentioned, he didn't play a lot of Hecarim Udir and he was more focused on these, you know, high farming champions. And I think it's a big advantage for Damwon because they're pretty much used to playing without these two champions, whereas a lot of these other teams at the tournament have been fairly reliant on Hecarim Udir in terms of that's their form of engage and that's how their team has been kind of been playing around the meta is, you know, you pick champions that, you know, are very safe picks and that can be supported by the Hecarim Moodier and that's your form of engage. And with this big meta shift that I think we're going to see is teams are going to have to find other way to find their engages, whether that means, you know, we'll see some more like Galio mid kind of things or, you know, where it's going to be heavy engage supports or we're going to go to like some tank engage top laners or whatever. I, I think there's a bunch of different ways this meta can go, but Dam one is a very diverse team and plays a lot of different things. The other person that I think, again, who hasn't really been following the meta is Showmaker. Uh, I think for most of the regions around the world, Orianna is the consensus best mid in the game. It's very often getting you know early picked by various teams. In the LEC, in the playoffs, it was pretty much like a B1 pick. Like That was more important than the Hecarim or the Udyr in that region. And basically, he doesn't play Orianna. He didn't play a single game of it this split. Or actually, that's wrong. Sorry, he played two games with Oriana this split and only has seven career games on Oriana. That is crazy. Yeah, actually. Ex excluding his Challenger series games in the LCK, he only had three of them. But since summer split of season nine, he only has seven career Oriana games. And the champion that's basically been the consensus 
like bait like he's like when you think of mid laner it's like that's your base champion right there is oriana and he's only played seven games of it like what mid laner doesn't play oriana for like since the beginning of time it's actually kind of crazy that he doesn't really play oriana and he still uh has himself in the conversation as best mid laner in the world it's probably him or chovy Chovy. it's actually it's kind of uh, amazing, honestly, that you cannot play that champion and still just be so dominant. He plays his Syndra, he plays Zoe, he plays a little bit of Victor as well, and he does just fine on those control mages, but doesn't play the Orianna. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows why they don't have any priority on that? But I do want to go back to what you said before and just hammer home that you mentioned all these other teams, just about every region, have been playing Hecarim Udir, but they have not. They've been playing the Nidalee and the Graves like crazy, and those champions haven't really been touched. So huge advantage for Damwon there if they weren't already at a huge advantage for just being a flat-out best team in the LCK and probably the best team in the world already. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the other thing for me that I want to talk about with this team, or the last thing for me anyways, is that this guy is the Baufs. Um, yeah, Khan. He has played so many Scion games this split. Uh, he's played 18 of them. And so the thing is, I'm I'm looking for like how can you beat Damwon and is this a weakness that you pretty much know what they want to play in the top lane? Uh you could argue that it's a weakness, but is it really if they continue to run it back and just win all of their games? Not really. So I don't know what you do to beat this team. I really don't. Yeah, it's hard because Scion specifically, the only time you're really able to punish it is within the first 10 minutes. And if Scion can survive the first 10 minutes of the game, he just becomes this monstrosity of a tank that is so hard to kill. If you go back to, like, you know, we, we've focused a lot of, on North America, specifically in, like, the Scion and Renekton matchup, where we've seen teams that can play one play around the Renekton early on and throw a lot of attention at the top lane, your Renekton can get a very sizable lead through lane CS, through kills and assists through turret plates and that's an al- like that's an avenue to win against the Scion. But on the flip side, Damwon is just so good and Khan specifically is so good at just playing the weak side of the map, absorbing any pressure that's thrown at him. And by the time you reach 10 to 15 minutes, Khan's just this unkillable tank that just runs around the map, CCing your entire enemy team, standing in your whole team, like just doing Sunfire Cape damage. And like, uh, it just allows Canyon and Showmaker to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. It's, yeah. I know we've hyped up this team like crazy, guys, but it's deservedly so. They are very good. Uh, even in their series against Gen G, I thought Gen G looked really good this split. I thought that team looked amazing. I think BDD's just starting to look better and better. And then Damwon came along and just clapped them. Yeah. It's not that all the other teams are bad in the LCK. It's really not. It's just that they are so much further ahead than all the other teams that it really is amazing. And that's probably why we saw them win a world championship. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that even though we've seen Khan play so many Scion games, that's not what he's been known for his whole career is just playing Scion in the top lane. He's actually had a lot of variances of the champions he's played. I, I believe he used to be a Jace player, if I remember right. I remember seeing him playing some Jace and, and champions like that that he can play as carries in the top lane. It just seems like this split, he's very comfortable on just playing the tank role, and maybe that's that's how they win is because they just trust Khan on tanks. So we are seeing a little bit of a different version of Khan than we would have seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think the only avenue there is to beating this team is to get just this insane early game advantage that you have to snowball. 
Because we well, even... they, and we mentioned they play slow, right? Yeah, they do. You need uh, to up up in the pace of this game and make them play a quick quicker than they are used to playing. Yeah, like we even saw at Worlds 2020. Even if you got like a two to three thousand gold lead on Damwon, it's just not enough because of how good of a team they are in terms of their objective control, their ability to just create team fights or but advantageous team fights to them, where it's just like a numbers advantage from like a TP play or just like simple collapses in the enemy jungle. Like they'll. Even when they're behind, this team doesn't play like they're behind. Like, if you're, if Damwon's behind, they're even, and if Damwon's even, they're ahead. Like that's just how it works. So you really have to put them super far behind to actually have them be behind. And that's what I think all th the other three of these teams really have to do in this group is just take it to them. Uh, we mentioned that Canyon does play these more farm-heavy junglers that are susceptible to being invaded and potentially, you know, camped and killed, uh, like the Graves in the Nidalee. Uh, Hecarim Udyr have a lot of safety, and they're just natural kits where you're able to, like, tank a bunch of shit, run away, and be fine. But champions like Nidalee and Graves are a lot more punishable in the early game, whether it's, like, collapses on Scuttle Crabs or early jungle invades, whatever. You are going to have to do something to disrupt Damwon, because if you don't, you're going to find it very difficult to win. Yeah, and you mentioned... How I want to segue this into Cloud9 a little bit, because you mentioned how Damwon is a team that is able to find their fight even if they are behind. I would say Cloud9 is actually a team that does that fairly well uh, also. They are a team that they play very aggressive. Well, it depends on their comp, actually. I shouldn't say they always play very aggressive, but most of the time they play very aggressive because you have Blabber, and that's just his play style. But Cloud9, even if they do fall behind after a few hiccups, let's say, they are very good at finding their fight as well. And so I don't want to completely write off Cloud9. It seems like Cloud9's coming into this with a lot of variance to their game as well. Um, we mentioned how there's variance to RNG. Cloud9 is one of those teams as well. I don't think Damwon is. I think Damwon's going to play very well, and you know it just about mm -hmm. all the time. Whereas I think Cloud9 has a higher chance of just showing up with a dud game, but also showing up with an absolute pop-off game. And you hear from so many people in the, in the LCS scene or community or whatever you want to call it that say that Cloud9 is going to come into this tournament with the expectation that they can and will beat Damwon, which mm -hmm. is very, very interesting to me because I don't think um, I don't think that they're favored whatsoever, but I do absolutely agree that these players are coming in with the, the mindset that they can be the better team. Yeah, to be fair, though, I do think that Cloud9 has experience um, in terms of if they're able, if they're going to be able to beat Damwon, like we mentioned, they have to play aggressive and fast in the early game. I do think they have a bit of experience doing that because Team Liquid does kind of play the same role as Damwon does in terms of accruing individual leads in their lane phase, and that's why they're able to get like an early game lead and beat teams through that. And also being a solid team from behind, and you know, with Team Liquid when they're even against most teams in the LCS, they're usually ahead. So I do think that Cloud9 has a little bit of experience playing that style. Obviously, nowhere near to the level that Damwon does that and how good right. they are. But I do think that it's not going to be like a first-time experience for Cloud9 because they've had previous experience against this kind of style. Yeah, and and one thing, so I myself have said that I believe that it, it, it is valuable to have experienced players and veterans on a team. I do think that people put too much weight on it in general. However, when it comes to perks, I think it's something that is so true that this is a guy that steps up when it comes time. Like, it is unbelievable how clutch this guy is in games that matter. And so people always mean playoff perks and, like, he gets a playoff buff. And it's like, well, kind of does. And so you, you 
you have to expect that Perks will play his best on the international stage as well, because yeah. that's pretty much what he does. I saw something on Twitter I thought was funny. It's like, basically, there's just this tweet saying like Cloud Nine's kind of like the defending MSI champions because Perks is the only player from G2 that was on that 2019 MSI roster, and he's on Cloud Nine now. So it makes Cloud Nine the default. <clears throat> msi defending champions or whatever so i thought that was funny yikes but kind of true but not true at all at the same yeah. time <laughs> one thing that i feel like nobody is really talking about from cloud nine which i think is very interesting and i think it's because of how well he played in the lcs playoffs is fudge i think when we were talking about cloud nine early on in the split when it came to if they were to go to msi or if they were to go to worlds how worried we were we were going to be for fudge in terms of how poor he was looking early on in the split. And I think this whole narrative is kind of flipped on its head because of how well he ended up playing in the LCS playoffs, did a bunch of work against Alfari in the top lane in both Team Liquid series, was looking really, really great for the most part, and is also that kind of Scion player. You know, we saw him play a lot of Scion in the LCS playoffs where he just needs to survive until 10 to 15 minutes. And again, just becomes this monstrosity of a tank that just sits on your AD carries nuts and doesn't let up. <laughs> So I will admit that I still am afraid. Oh, I, I am. I'm just fun. saying nobody's talking about it because no, of how well No, it's a very well good point. Played. It's you're 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 exactly right. That was the worry since day one about if Cloud9 wins and goes to MSI, is Fudge going to be able to hold up? Because in lock-in and in the regular split, um, more so towards the start, we he definitely was something to be worried about. And so I I think that that's a totally fair assessment, and it, it is really interesting that we heard less talk about that because i think it is still a worry look he had a great playoff i've given him lots of credit for that and i'm really happy with his improvement but let's be honest you can't just have one solid playoff in the lcs as well mind you and just be declared a world's um or a international level top laner um we keep talking about well this is the test for fudge and well it seems like even though he passed the last test it just seems like there keeps being another test that comes along yeah. you know which isn't necessarily fair but, but well you know what it is fair actually it is fair because this is a team that's being held to the level of an international level team like you need to be able to perform on the world stage because uh, that's what people have come to expect out of cloud nine especially when you spend all the money that they've spent on this roster and so yeah, I mean, this is just another test. I will say, if he plays well against Khan and, and generates advantages against Khan, that is absolutely passing the test, right? There's no more tests after that. Mm -hmm. Can there be? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, we'll, so we'll have to see. We'll, we'll really just have to see how it all plays out. Because at the same time, like, if we just see tank versus tank top lane, like, it's hard. That's to, true. Like, yeah. unless Fudge, like, does a great job in his role for the team, it will be hard to, to say that he's passed the test if he's just playing, like, some boring top lane matchup. But my whole reason yeah. for bringing up this whole Fudge point initially is because I don't think the top laners in the rest of this group are, any, like, they're not players to be underestimated. I think Detonation Focus Me and Infinity will kind of move along to them now. I think both of these teams have a lot of international experience as well. Um, You'll, you'll think back to 2018 Worlds when both of these teams were at Worlds 2018 plans. Detonation Focus Me actually played Cloud9 very, very closely early on in that playing tournament, had two very close games against them. And I think both of these teams, some of their best players, Evi in the top lane for Detonation Focus Me and Bugax from Infinity, they're both solid international caliber top laners who have had experience in the role before. Evi is a very aggressive uh, top lane player, plays some Akali. Uh, 
play some Gragas, play some unconventional stuff. And I do think that, you know, Fudge shouldn't necessarily be overlooking these other two players because of how practiced they are on international stages and just how solid they are in general. So you just reminded me of how one of the takes that we heard last night on Hotline League, which I think the take was wrong, honestly, but I do want to tweak the take a little bit. The take was basically that C9 shouldn't exactly prep that much for Damwon, and they should just prep to beat Infinity and DFM to get out of the group. And now, like I said, I think it's wrong, because I think you should go into this group with the expectation that you can beat anyone. And, and, and to be honest, I think that's exactly what C9 is going to do. I don't, the, the way I would tweak that take is that you shouldn't be too heavily focused on Damwon and you shouldn't take the other two teams lightly. You should consider that any team can beat any team in this group. And that's the way for me that you prep uh, for any tournament for that matter, not just MSI or Worlds or whatever. Any tournament, you need to plan to beat every single team and you treat them all with respect because they are all pro players and can play at a high level. And so I don't really like the take that you should just concede that you're probably going to lose to Damwon anyways. That to me is kind of loser's mentality. But yeah, I do agree with the notion that C9 should still focus on beating Infinity and DFM. Yeah, it's like half right and half wrong because like you mentioned, you can't just completely overlook the teams that are below you and put all your attention into, fo into focusing as the top team because we've seen... Uh, at previous international tournaments, one of the main reasons why NA has kind of failed internationally is because they drop these odd games to teams that are supposed to be below them. Think back to like TSM at Season 7 Worlds when they lost to Flash Wolves, who were 0-5 at the time. You think Team Liquid Worlds at Season 8 when they lost to EDG when they were supposed to be competing with KT Rolster for that one or potentially that two seed with EDG. Uh, you also think of like CLG at Season 6 when they dropped, they dropped the game to ANX. And while they had like kind of a nice miracle run, but one of the main reasons why CLG wasn't playing in a tiebreaker for first place was because they lost to ANX and ended up going three and three. And these games against these lower tier teams that, you know, th th those are some of the games where you, you don't make it out of your group or you even don't finish as high as you possibly could is because you're dropping games to these teams that on paper you're supposed to be beating. Yeah, and, and I don't, to be clear, I don't think Cloud9 or Damwon are going to come into this group and take any team lightly. Um, I, I have seen it happen, or let's say it, there's been times where it looks like teams do take other teams lightly. I just don't think that that ever really happens all, all that often, to be quite honest. And I think that if I were to guess this group is going to go Damwon 1, Cloud9 2, I'm going Infinity 3, and then DFM 4. Yeah, I, I got, I haven't, Dam I mean, I'll have Damwon 1. Cloud9 2. I'll go Detonation Focus Me 3 because I think they are just more experienced than Infinity. They've had a lot more international experience, whether it's at Worlds or planes at Worlds or MSI planes from previous years. Um, I'll go DFM 3 and then Infinity 4. Yeah, the reason why I go Infinity is just because I think their region in general has been the stronger region. I think the LLA has just been better than the Japanese League uh, in general. I don't think we've really seen the Japanese League do all that hard. If, like, there was one time, was it DFM that had one good international showing? Yeah, Rel that, relatively that, good, let's say. That was at like Worlds 2018 plans, and yeah, V3 when they made Worlds in 2020 weren't very good either. So I yeah. can get that, but I still think that Detonation Vokes Me is a pretty good team. Yes, we the region Jose Diodo, so maybe the team the the region got a nerf, right? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the LLA superstar Jose Diodo. Okay, so now we've pretty much said where we think everyone's going to finish in each group, one, two, three, and four. Um, but now let's get into the percentage chance of them winning the whole tournament. 
So for me, I, I, I went with LCK heavily favored. I think Damwon actually has a 60% chance of winning this tournament. So that's implying that I think there's more of a chance that they win it than that they don't. And where this may surprise some people is that I actually have the LPL far below them at 30%. Um, well, actually mm. not that far bo below. But then the LEC and LCS, this is where people might disagree with me. I only gave them each 4.5%. And then I gave the field, meaning the rest of the teams, 1%. Uh, just because I think that there is always a long shot chance for just about any team. So I gave all of the other teams and all the other minor regions and whatnot 1% chance. Um, for me, the reason why I have LCS and LEC sort of similar is because I do believe that in skill level, they are about equal. I think Cloud9 has a little bit more variance. I think that their ceiling is a little bit higher. I think their floor is a little bit lower. But overall, I think that they have approximately the same. Um, and, and the LPL, even though I think they're good, I just do not think that they're nearly as good as, as Damwon, like we mentioned earlier. And I just think Damwon is an absolute powerhouse. They... they continued to beat teams that also look very very good and they smash those teams and for me that's why i give them the the heavy advantage you're putting all your eggs in the eastern basket i mean that's not all that uncommon though yeah, to yeah, be quite no. honest i have it i spread mine out a little i, I gave more love to the, all the other teams okay. uh, i'll start at the bottom because similar to you i kind of had the field although i had a Two other teams that didn't include in the field, that didn't include UOL and PSG, but all the other wildcard regions, I gave them basically all a combined 1% chance, individually okay. less than 1%. I gave UOL and PSG 2%, mainly just because I think they're just better than the other wildcard teams because of their previous like international experience, and I just think they're better than all of those teams, so I'd give them a higher chance because of that. I have okay. Mad Lions at 10%. And I have okay. Cloud9 at 15%. But I definitely agree with your point that Cloud9 does have a little more variance. Higher ceiling, lower floor. Um, but I think more recently we've seen that higher ceiling. So that's why I'm kind of giving Cloud9 the edge over Mad Lions. And I have 25% RNG and 45% Damwon. But it's kind of weird because, as you mentioned, like, would you take Damwon or the field? Like, I... While I don't have Damwon as greater than 50%, I still think that I would probably take Damwon over the field. It's kind of weird. Like, my math doesn't add up, but... We have, yeah, we have some mathematical problems there. If you're taking Damwon over the field, but then you have them less than 50%. And guys, just for the record, we realize that these are very much like kind of arbitrary numbers, right? But what I do think it does is it, gives, it paints a picture as to what we think teams are in strength. It really does... Again, it's arbitrary, but it shows how much of a favorite we think Damwon is, or, or not, I guess, for that matter, however you want to put it. And so I think that it's just a little fun thing to do is to throw the, some numbers on these teams and give the, just an idea of just how strong we think these teams are. So I think that's a little fun thing. To yeah, do. But like part of my reasoning for, I guess, giving more love to some of the other teams and even like, I don't know, like we've seen in some previous international tournaments where you have these overwhelming favorite teams like you think back to kt rolster season eight worlds where they were number one lck team and were expected to just kind of win the tournament because of how dominant they were looking or even rng in season eight worlds because they had completely dominated the lpl won season eight msi uh you also think of ig at season nine msi after they had just won worlds and were looking so dominant and they like perfect gamed skt in that group stage there's just been a ton of these previous tournaments where the number one favorites from these tournaments kind of underperform like not necessarily that they finish poorly but they just don't win at all and it just kind of feels like there's this storyline sometimes in league specifically where 
this huge favorite isn't the one that ends up winning and there are these other teams that sort of rise to the occasion and you know can overtake them yeah and, and it's hard to ignore when you've seen it happen so many times right but what what i would say is that it's kind of a fallacy to look at what happened in the past and and say that that's probably what will happen now just because i think all the teams are different like so much has changed like yes maybe the same regions are the same strong as regions but they aren't the same teams necessarily right there's a bunch of players that are changed in and out over the years and so i don't think that it, it's necessarily fair to say well the top teams in the past have flopped and so there's a good chance that it still happens now um but i, I don't think you can totally discount it and i think it, it is worth bringing up that look look guys we've seen heavy favorites fall off before and i think china is a good example of what we saw last year at worlds the chinese team that looked the best being sooning was actually their third seed and their one and two didn't look that hot throughout most of the tournament for 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 worlds like you would think that JDG and and um, and top esports would have been far and away the best that we would see from China, but that just wasn't the case. And so again, comes back to variance, and we saw some variance there. Yeah, it's like my my brain says Damwon is gonna just like smash everybody and win, but my heart says like oh like maybe not RNG, so fast. Maybe RNG is gonna win, or maybe Cloud Nine is gonna like take some games off of because there are just like some weird scenarios that can happen. Like imagine if like we go to the Rumble stage and. Damwon is two and RNG is three. Like one of those teams in that like in that scenario is just knocked out and just gone immediately. And we've seen some crazy things happen in like previous you know international events where some teams will just rise up, whether it be in a group stage or whether it be in a best of five. Like I don't know. Think back to like season nine MSI. I don't think a single person would have predicted Team Liquid to beat IG in that semifinal series, and it was just crazy nope. that that even happened. And yeah. then they ultimately got absolutely annihilated by G2 in the finals. But that was just insane that Team Liquid had just beaten the previous world champions. And it was two Western teams in the finals of MSI that year. Like, that was just yeah. absolutely crazy. Yeah, and it's a good point to bring that up because that's where the, the argument with your heart comes into play. It's because of things like that why you can't ignore that there is a chance the top teams do fall off. It, it has happened. Uh, despite the fact that we mm -hmm. don't necessarily think it's incredibly likely it is possible. Um, with that said, let's talk a little bit about that Team Liquid lineup uh, and, and maybe others, because I, I think there's a lot of people saying Cloud. this iteration of Cloud9 is the best team that we're sending to MSI or to an international tournament. Would you agree with that, or would you say maybe the TL MSI team or maybe the, the CLG from Season 6 might be the best team we've ever sent to MSI? Where would you rank this C9 team amongst the others? I would say at the time, like before the tournament, they are probably the best team and I think has the best chance to produce the best result that NA has ever seen at an MSI. Because if you think back to it, like both the CLG and the Team Liquid rosters, like they weren't like these super hype teams coming into MSI that you thought had the mm -hmm. chance to take games off the Eastern teams. Like, yeah, the results speak for themselves. Like CLG... They who did they, they beat like did they they beat RNG in a best of five I think that year in semifinals to go up against SKT in the finals and Team Liquid beat IG in the semifinals to go to the finals of that tournament and you never would have thought that those two teams even had the potential to beat those teams and I think when you look at this Cloud Nine roster since their ceiling which they've you know they were performing at in the LCS playoffs is so high we already have that idea that, hey, this team does already have the chance to potentially take games off Damwon or potentially take games off RNG. Yes, those two teams are still the favorites to to win the tournament and to do well. Like We even said it ourselves. I think you gave 90% to 
the collective of Damar and RNG, I gave them 70%. So we both, we're both of the opinion that those are still the favorites entering MSI. But I think we recognize that Cloud9 at the time right now probably does have the best chance that other teams have had. Yeah, the results speak for themselves that Team Liquid and CLG did better and they made the finals and Cloud9 won't necessarily do that. But I think they have the tools to do it. Well, and there's a world where Cloud9 is the best team that we've ever sent to MSI, but they don't perform as well as Team Liquid or CLG. Exactly. There's a world where that happens. Do I think Cloud9 is the best team? I don't think it's easy to say one way or another. And I, I realize this might be a cold take, um, but it is my honest opinion that I think they're about on par with the Team Liquid team that we sent. Uh, I, I realize CLG was also a good team at the time, and we've mentioned before that, so many people have mentioned before, that that's a team that was so much better, not so much on an individual level, but on a team level. And that's how people have looked at that CLG team historically. Uh, but again, I think that as far as the best teams we've sent to MSI, I think it would be a tie between this Cloud9 team and the Team Liquid team. And, and maybe CLG would be close behind, I would say. But uh, yeah, I, it's too difficult for me to say one way or the other. I think that both, all three of those teams that I just mentioned were good teams that we sent from North America. And I don't, yeah, I, I see as Cloud9 being no different from the others, in all honesty. It's hard to say because I think if all three of those teams operated at 100%, I would say Cloud9. But on the flip side, it was probably like it's more likely that those previous CLG and Team Liquid teams were playing at a very high level than. The amount of times that cloud nine would be able to play at that 100 level because we've seen cloud nine drop games uh you know they had a couple sloppy games against tl in the finals that game one yep. they, they threw that big early game lead that they had and even in the end of the summer split they were dropping some games to some pretty you know like weak teams in the lcs like they dropped a couple games to eg they dropped a game to clg even and like people were wondering if cloud nine was like slumping again going into playoffs and people were worried and there was that whole notion of like playoff perks and Cloud9 will be all right, but like nobody really knew. But we we evidently saw playoff perks, and when Cloud9 is you know on that like upper bound of their performance, they are very very good. And only time will tell to see how Cloud9 actually stacks up against all this team, all these other teams, and if they can get back on that same form. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would say that. Uh, the Team Liquid team or the CLG team are actually better than the current Cloud9 team just because of the results that they got. And I don't think you can do that. I think results-based analysis, I've talked many times about that. That's how it's just incorrect. It's an incorrect way of looking at the game. Oh, they won, so they must be the best team. Like, honestly, do you really think TL was better than IG? Probably not. Maybe in that series they were, but uh, altogether, probably not, honestly, right? Yeah. So th those are things that you have to consider as well. Um, sometimes the team that is... Uh, got the lower chance of winning, does win. Even though they had the lower chance and they are technically the lesser team, sometimes they win. And so I, I, I think Cloud9 is very much um, on par with those teams is what I would say. And overall, I think North American fans should be happy. We're sending what I would say is a good team. Not an amazing team, but a good team and definitely a chance of winning it. And so I gave them approximately 5%. That, mm -hmm. that to me is a, a decent chance of winning MSI when you're an underdog. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on. There's been some jungle changes that haven't come live yet, but Riot has announced them as being the way they want to look to change the jungle. Uh, a lot of people are happy, a lot of people are mad, and there's a lot of people that don't know exactly what to feel. Um, I'll let you start us off, JNT. Start wherever you want, but what are your thoughts on the jungle changes? Yeah, I mean... That they've, that they've proposed. Like, Riot... Well, 
for the most part, jungle is just the role that most people avoid, unless you're a jungler, mainly just because you get the brunt of the flame in solo queue or whatever you're playing, because a lot of the game revolves around jungle, specifically now because of how heavy a focus there is on like objective control with dragons and refuels and whatnot. And jungle has basically become like the most least popular role into the game. It used to be, you know, some form of bot lane, whether it was ADC or whether it was support, that was the most auto-filled role. But nowadays, top lane, or sorry, jungle is the most auto-filled role. And Riot, they're kind of making some changes to hopefully introduce more people to the jungle role. We've previously seen that with, what was it, 11-7, where they're trying to buff up these other champions who have some jungle potential like Morgana, like uh, Diana, there was what what else was in there there was like zed jungle darius jungle they previously yeah. made like some other jungle changes like mordekaiser jungle and talon jungle like they're trying to make the champion pool a little bit larger and more like noob friendly like that's basically what they're doing they're trying to make things more noob friendly and while i think that's okay to potentially widen the champion pool the changes that they're making now if they've kind of been getting some mixed reviews mainly because they're going to bring back a little bit of catch-up xp which people have really sort of again they have mixed opinions about uh they're going to be increasing the camp respawn timers from two minutes to two minutes 15 seconds Let, let's go one at a time here let's start with the catch-up okay, xp okay. let's go with that so okay. what are your thoughts on on the catch-up xp because yeah there, there's a couple ways of looking at it in my opinion one is well if i'm the jungler that just smashed the other jungler let's say i out jungled him but now he has a chance of coming back in the game it completely like uh nullifies all the hard work that i've done which kind of sucks but then there's also the other side of things that it's like, well, we want junglers to not just have to perm a farm and we want them to be able to take risks and go for ganks without being too punished. So there's definitely two ways of looking at it. Where do you fall on, on the jungle catch-up XP? It's weird because when they initially removed catch-up XP, like you mentioned, I was happy that they did that because like part of the skill, expre skill expressions of jungle is getting a huge lead on your enemy jungler and then... You know, you being able to starve them out in the game by counter jungling or having good objective control or working with your team to deny the enemy jungler as much as possible. But now that the game has just become so snowbally, it does feel pretty shit when you are that jungler that's fallen behind and your ways to get back into the game are so limited. Because more often than not, you're probably playing or you, you could be playing some form of a heavy ganking jungler and the enemy jungler is playing some hard farm jungler. And if your early ganks just don't work out, even in the early game, you can just end up being permanently behind three camps because you go for a play. Let's say you fail your play, and therefore the enemy jungler just gets the chance to full clear and is already at his scuttle crab before you even have a chance to start clearing your other side of the jungle. It does really feel bad. And while that is, like again, part of the skill expression of jungle is going for these early plays and making sure they work and you know having a plan of action to you know stabilize the game when those plays don't work out, it can feel really bad when you're instantly behind and since the enemy jungler is playing a style where they just continuously hard farm and it's up to you to get back into the game normally through just repeat repeated ganks like again if those plays don't work out you're just kind of screwed from the get-go and i think just due to the snowballing nature of the game nowadays i do like that they're bringing it back a little bit i, I don't think it's going to be some massive thing that's going to completely shift you know like being down in experience because i just think that like more often than not you're down two or three levels, and that might just make it a half a level or a level less. It's not going to be something like where you're down three levels, two minutes later, you're you're even in levels. It just doesn't work like that anymore. And I feel like this will just help minimize your deficits a little bit.
but there'll so still it, be there'll still be deficits like don't get me yeah wrong. i agree and, and what it feels like to me it feels like riot can't find a happy medium here it feels like they wanted to get rid of ketchup xp so that you could if you out jungle the other enemy jungler you actually feel like you've accomplished something but they realize that it just kind of leads to just hard perma farming and that's not exactly fun either and so i i think that they need to find a way to rework how the jungle works but it's just it's not obvious exactly how to do that there's a bunch of people have a bunch of different opinions on what they should do and, and a lot of them i think are, are are viable but it's not that simple and it's really a difficult thing that riot has clearly been struggling with for for years now and, and i don't know if these changes are going to fix it or not but i certainly hope so um what else what other changes are there that were noteworthy yeah uh to sort of compensate and as you mentioned like they're kind of wanting to remove a little bit of this permafarm mentality. Uh, they're increasing the camp timers from two minutes to two minutes and 15 seconds. So an extra 15 seconds of respawn. And these are for all like your small camps, which are the Krugs, the Raptors, the Wolves, and the Gromp. Um, but to sort of uh, remedy that a little bit, they're giving roughly a 5% gold increase from non-buff camps, the camps I just mentioned. Uh, so basically this will hopefully make ganks a little bit less ganking a little bit less punishable in the form that yeah you can go for a play and if it doesn't work out the enemy jungler can't perma farm as hard and that's part of the reason why i don't think that these changes are going to bring some massive like overhaul to how the role functions or how these champions work or the viability of different champions i just think that if you're down if you're down in levels you're going to be not as down in levels and if you're down in gold you're going to be not as down in gold like i don't think that all these changes yeah. that they're making are these huge uh changes that are going to affect anything like to it, it seems like because the camps don't spawn as quickly you won't have to be doing camps as often but because they're giving an extra five percent gold on them you're still going to get that gold as if you would be clearing them the way you were before mm -hmm. so it gives you an extra little bit of time to gank and so that that's the idea anyways uh so that you could be able to gank more and try to make more happen on the map that I guess I'm okay with. I, I don't mind that. I'm pretty much okay with. Um, so so here's the thing. Even though I don't necessarily like some of the changes that they're bringing back, catch up XP. I think it's okay because the way the jungle is right now is just not in a good spot. And so, like I said before, Riot seems like they don't know exactly what they want to do, but I like that they're looking for different solutions and trying to change the way the jungle is currently because I don't think it's in a healthy spot right now. And so I give them credit for that. Even if I don't necessarily agree with the changes they're making, at least they realize there's a problem right now and they're trying to do what they can to fix it. That's right. where I fall on this. I'm not happy with all the changes, but I get it. That's how I would put it. It feels like at, like at some point during the year, there are just these jungle changes that get implemented because there is a lot of contention with the role. Like, like as you know, everyone says, like, or the majority of Soul Lucky players will just say, like, the game is jungle diff. And I think that's it did used to be like that, where there was so much power in the jungle role, specifically in like season seven, eight, and nine, where jungle was just like extremely <laughs> OP and had a ton of influence over the game. But I think it's becoming a bit better nowadays in terms of that. And I think. They're trying to fine-tune these issues that there are right now. But like you just mentioned, it kind of just felt like they had to change something because mm -hmm. it was so stale the way the whole meta and play style of jungle was where you just permanently and farm and everything. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get even more changes come season 11 to season 12 yeah. because it always feels like there are jungle changes in the offseason, whether it's what they did recently with the smites, whether it's what they did with the item reworks, whether it's what they did, like, way back in the day when they removed Sightstone or got rid of... And then they had Purple Smite at one point when, like, 
they made all those jungle changes like initially when they brought in blue red smite and the white smite which was the sightstone one there's been a lot of jungle changes well and you mentioned the jungle diff meme which was like that's the original like you will hear people say top diff mid diff ev everywhere diff is basically what the meme has become but it started in the jungle right because that was the role that had the most influence on the game and mm. i don't know if these changes are going to bring it back to that but it certainly has a chance of doing that mm. if you buff jungle just a little bit more and a little bit more and you make the role easier to play maybe we do see the old jungle diff meme become the main one that we see uh, maybe maybe not i don't know uh the last change that i think it's worth going over is the smite change kind of crazy the smite change wouldn't you say yeah i think that's that's probably the change that most people are like scratching their heads about. Like, why did they even make this change? And kind of feels so like what more, is what is more problems can stem from it. So what they're doing is the way that smite works right now is your smite damage to uh, monsters and whatnot. It scales up with your level. It goes from 390 at level one to was a thousand at level 18. And now they're changing it. So your initial five smite charges, the way that they changed it in season 11, where you smite five times, then you get your blue or red smite those smites will always deal 450 damage regardless of level and yeah. once you finish those five smites and get your blue red smite they're now always going to deal 900 damage regardless of level and these are some changes that i don't i feel like just aren't necessary at all i i feel like the only scenario where the level of your smite matters is that small percentage of plays where you might be going for an objective steal and you get the smite off first, and it lives with like 20 HP, and you're like, oh, well, if yeah. I wasn't two levels down, I would have stolen the objective. But on the flip side, it's like, well, now there's going to be that small timer you'll have in the early game where if you just cycle your five smite charges faster than the enemy jungle will, you're just going to have a 900 damage smite, and that's just like free objective control. Versus the 450 or the 400 or whatever like, it is. What did you say it was again? Yeah, it, it was it was 450 before, and now it's like, double the 900. That is the difference, right? Like, well, you just walk, I, you walk into the enemy jungler, he's doing his blue buff, and you've done your five smites faster than him. I have, sorry, I have a 900 to smite. Uh, your buff is mine. See you later. Yeah, and so it's going to be the race to get your 900 smite. And it was yeah. going to be 1,000. It looks like they changed their mind, yeah. and now they're thinking 900. But the point being is that that is such a huge discrepancy in smites. And while what we were mentioning before, when there used to be that 30, different, uh, 30 damage difference in jungle smite, you didn't really notice it all that often. But yeah. now you're definitely going to notice it if it comes to that and one jungler doesn't finish their smite quest yet and the other one does. You are definitely going to notice the difference in, in, in smite fights, if you will. And I don't think that that's nece for sure. necessary for the game either. I don't know. Um, maybe my mind will change once I see it. Maybe it's a good change for the game. Right now, I'm not too excited about it in all honesty. Um, you have to wonder if they're going to try to buff more health on Dragon or on Scuttles or on any of the objectives. Because smiting, so that's the other thing too. Smiting Scuttle now will take off the shield and then deal the damage, the 900 damage of your smite as well. So you're going to do Scuttle in like two seconds. Yeah. Now that's another thing that's going to change. There won't be, a, to me, there won't be as much fighting over Scuttle because you'll just get it super quick and be out of there. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But that, that to me is just a weird change, honestly. Yeah. I, I wonder if there'll have to be some other changes that they will make, whether it's to some HP of, you know, certain jungle camps or even you know dragon or baron in the early game because think about it like that one fat like those initial five smites you probably get your upgraded smite at what maybe like seven or eight minutes into the game i i can't really remember like i'd have to play a game to remember but it's probably somewhere in between like seven to eight minutes and once you have a thousand smite like that is a lot of 
just like damage that you have on objectives like dragon or rift yeah. like i've always thought that dragons need to have more hp or be a little bit tankier because once you're like level four almost any jungler in the game at level four can solo drake if they're full hp and have two potions and have a smite it's basically any jungler in the game can smite it and i've always thought that since there's so much power in dragons it should be more of a something like a baron buff where it takes not not as much time as baron buff and not as much damage as baron buff but since drag is so important it needs to have like a bigger focus around it in terms of you can't just like solo drake level four or five like you can't just like randomly you know push out your lanes and take drake because there's so much chaos and control needed for dragon i don't mind that i don't know i, I just don't like it when like a, jung a jungler can just solo a drake randomly when it you... doesn't bother me as much because I think that's on the jungler to not be sleeping, you know? Like, you got to be like, hey, the other guy could be on dragon right now. And I think it, it encourages more early game fighting as well, which we don't really see all that much of in League. So I actually, personally, I, I don't mind that you can take dragon that early. Um, sometimes it sucks, like, yeah, you know, they got a drag early and the guy just soloed it. But to me, I think that's on the jungler. I think that you need to be able to track the enemy jungler and know... And, and have your lanes help help you out in, in finding where the enemy jungler is and knowing what's going on. Because um, I do think that there is... If you get caught doing dragon level 4, that's really risky and you die a lot of the time. So so I don't I don't mind it personally. But uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll have to see. Anyways, um, so that's that's the main change that we're going to see with the jungle. There's some other ones, but um, you guys can just Google them if you, if you want to find them. I'm sure that it's on Reddit somewhere as well. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's quick gameplay thoughts is what the the, the um, article is called uh it says april 30th is when it came out so that's the article that we're talking about if you guys want to go find it and look up the other small little changes um with this uh i did want to transition it into another topic sort of so one of our regular listeners a shout out to na's finest gave us an idea for a topic about just how league of legends has changed over the years and so that um, inspired me to make a Reddit post just asking people what are the best and worst changes Riot has made to League of Legends over the years, um, including absolutely everything, in-game, out-of-game, like client and stuff like that, and, and all this stuff. And so we're, this is kind of what we're doing this week to replace Pop-Off and Bean Soup since we haven't done it for a couple of weeks. It's our impromptu um, weekly awards. So yeah, we're going to do what is the best and worst changes that we could think of that Riot has made. And I'm going to go through some of the changes that people have mentioned on Reddit as well. And we'll ask you guys if there's anything we missed, definitely let us know in the comments section because I, I think that it's really interesting some of the things. Like, it's, I can't believe that some of these things weren't always in the game. So I'll start off. The, the one that for, I, for me that I thought was the best change, or at least one of, was role queue. Uh, because I remember joining a lobby and seeing my teammates fight over which role they were going to play. And whenever someone didn't get their role, they would just run it down or grief the lobby or whatever it is. And that's something I definitely don't miss. And so I like that they've added roll queue. I think it's definitely a, a good thing. Yes, sometimes you get auto-filled. And there are some bad things with roll queue. Don't get me wrong. But overall, I think it's been a really good change. And I'm, I don't miss people arguing in lobby. Um, and then for me, the worst one is the Tarek Yee funnel strat. Uh, I don't think it was intentional by Riot Nobody to make this. That. But it was really non-fun to play against, and it felt like there wasn't a lot of counterplay to it. It was quite cancerous, if I remember correctly. And so that, to me, was the worst change, even though it wasn't intentional. Um, any thoughts on those, JNT? Or did you want, if you want to just shout out your own, go for it. Nobody likes Tarek Yi. Like, whenever you see that in a game, like, it's on the enemy team, like, you just feel like you either have to dodge the game or... The main thing that I don't like about Master Yi in general, and even like the funnel strats, is when he's in the game, 
the game then becomes revolved around mastery because you have to do everything in your power to shut him down early and try to end the game quickly because especially with that whole Yi Tarek combo, once they reach a certain point into the game when Yi gets like an item or two and Tarek has access to ultimate, it can just make some crazy it can just make some crazy plays. And I've seen some various like thoughts from people on how to solve it. One thing uh, that I thought was a pretty interesting one that a lot of people have said is that they should remove the interaction with like the Tarek E stun and the Master E Q. Because when Mastery's in the middle of queuing, Terra can actually press E, and when Yi comes out of the Alpha Strike, it'll already have like the stun almost insta proc. So yeah. I've, I've I've heard that change is like a possible one that can maybe fix the kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for the counterplay to it because it does feel like sometimes there's not a lot of counterplay with that sort of tandem of champions. I think it's still a massive problem. I think yeah. until like some big definitive changes are made. Funnelers will always find some way to be able to create a play style to make it viable. I know they've they've tried to do a ton of things, including like the monster debuff and everything like that. But at that point, it just becomes a balance of like farming your jungle camps and getting your smite char your smite charges off, and then you can go back to farming lane minions. Like it's always going to be abused until there's some big fix to it. They've yet to do a big fix, and they need to do one because it's fucking cancer strat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, did you have your own best and worst? Uh, for worst, because I've despised this change ever since they had it, was just now in Season 10 changes, when they made Elder Drag this just 10% scream at you execute. God, I hate that thing so much. It just feels so, like, unfun to play against when the enemy team gets Elder, and you just basically have to type in your chat, like, wait out Elder, don't fight. And yeah. If the game reaches to a point where the enemy team has Elder buff and they reach your base and are hitting Nexus Towers, the game is just kind of over because you don't There's have any power to fight do. pack. Yep. And, and the thing is, the idea of Elder is that the game is supposed to end. So it's a it's something that you're supposed to fight over uh, rather than fight after. Uh, so uh, that's the thing that I don't like is that it makes not fighting the, the new strat. You're like, okay, guys, we can't fight. They have Elder. Whereas, like, the old Elder, yes, it had a lot of burn to it, and yes, it was still difficult to fight, but it felt like the fight still mattered, and there was a chance that you could come out on top even if you didn't have Elder. With this one, it just feels like there's no chance. And so, even though, yeah, the game ends, it's, it's like nothing happens and the game ends. And I don't think that's the way that it should be. So I completely agree that the new, the new Elder Dragon is kind of boring and bad yeah like I, I don't it's know. just not healthy it, it just feels like there's not a lot of counterplay once they get it like if you're in a fight you just can't get below 10 percent hp or you're dead like i feel like there are some changes that they could possibly do to make it somewhat like i don't know to make there be a little bit of counterplay like being able to zanya's the 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 the, the scream at you like burst damage also like if you have a guardian angel you, once you get to the 10% threshold, you'll die, your Guardian Angel will proc, and then you're just able to get executed again right after. Like, I feel like maybe something like once the team, like, gets Elder, they get one charge of this 10% execute, and you get one per champion. Or, like, so if you're five champions alive, all five champions in the game have that one execute. And, like, that would kind of solve, like, you don't necessarily have to back off and not fight for the whole two minutes 30 or something like that. Or even just like reducing the execute to like seven percent HP or five well, percent so, HP. So like speaking of the 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 percentage execute, I'm seeing that it says twenty percent here. Now this could be outdated because this is an article from 2019. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's, it's. I thought not... it was twenty percent, but did they change that to ten? I thought it was twenty. It, it's ten percent. There's no way it's twenty percent. 
And let me look. I, I know it was released on 20, and that's what I thought. I thought it was 20. I, I didn't think it was 10 until you mentioned it. I, anyways, it doesn't matter exactly what it is. We know that whatever the percentage is, it's strong enough for th for them to just decentivize fighting, and that's enough for the buff to just suck, regardless yeah. of what the what the number is. Um, sorry to cut you off though, but you were saying it's, you wanted them think, to nerf the amount. I think it was initially 20 percent, but they then reduced it. Regardless of what yeah. it is, the point still stands. Yeah, like right? tune down the percentage to maybe like eight percent or seven percent or something like that. Because ten percent is a lot of HP. Like even a tank. Like if you're a tank in the late game and you have like three point five k or four hundred or four thousand HP, like three hundred fifty three hundred fifty to four hundred damage as a tank is nothing to slouch about. Like that's still a lot of damage that a champion still has to do to you to get the kill on you, and you just have this buff and it's just cuts you right down and it, it just it feels like they need to add some aspects to yeah. be able to like play around it like whether you can zonius it whether if you get revived through a guardian angel you can't get executed again initially or like there's a cooldown to it or just something like that because it just feels super unfun to play against okay and what about your best do you have one that was your your that you think was the best change yeah i thought um rift herald when they introduced that i don't even when yep. it was like season six when they had the first iteration of Rift Herald, which basically gave you that, like, stat stick of, like, a bunch of 5% stuff. And I always thought that was fun. Like, even before they made it this whole, like, objective, which you can then spawn to help take down towers. Like, I just thought that was fun as, like, a top laner where you get your jungler to do Herald with you. And you just got this extra little stat stick to make your lane phase for, like, 10 minutes just a little bit better. And you got that enhanced recall. I thought that was really cool. But even now, like, with actual Herald, it creates... You know another objective to play around and can give teams the option to you know sack the first two drakes play around rift herald top lane and use that to get a gold advantage from towers it, it feels game, like you can now play around top yeah. lane with that change right and that's one of the best things about it you used to have to just exclusively play around bot lane and once drags are spawning everybody's going bot lane but now it's just a viable strategy to sack the first two dragons to then you know, return fire with the two Rift Heralds and use those Rift Heralds to either get an advantage on your top lane or your AD carry, or, and nowadays with these double control mage mid matchups, you can use those two Heralds as a way to break open the game mid because, you know, most, most of the time there's a huge wave clearing uh, control mage in the game. And that kind of like yeah. helps accelerate that mid lane tower a little bit more. I will say the one thing I don't like about Herald is that it's often traded for Dragon, and so it makes fighting less often. But I do think that it's more healthy for the game that you can play through just about any lane, uh, depending on your comp or, or, or whatever. So I think overall it's still a really good change, even though it sometimes is now just traded for Dragon. That's something that I'm not a huge fan of. But regardless, overall a good change. Now, I went through all of the Reddit comments after, from the Reddit post that I made, and I took down some notable ones. I'll let you decide whether you think they're the positive or negative, um, but a lot of really good ones that I didn't really think of that people mentioned on here. And so we'll, we'll do it that way. I'll let you guess whether people thought these were good or bad changes. So the first one is, well, Juggernaut buff before Worlds, three weeks before Worlds, and we saw Darius and Mordekaiser and all that stuff popping off. Balls no, tend to kill. Please, no. <laughs> yeah, that was one that was rough. That, that, that was the top comment, actually. Most people really really hated that one but that one was that was one that i had completely forgot about uh the next one was there was a lot of talk about reworks and there was a lot of good reworks um and then a few not so good reworks but mostly good there was the akali one people don't really like the akali rework i completely hate it i hate that shroud with a passion it's so anti-fun but then there's so many good reworks i think i think poppy's a good one i think cyan's a good one gangplank ergot 
uh, Mordekaiser, some people really don't like the Mordekaiser one. I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. And overall, I think they did a really good job with reworks. Some good ones, some bad ones. Your Irelias and your Akali's people didn't really like too yeah. much because, I don't know, it, it just feels like sometimes when they're, like, making new champions or they're reworking champions, they feel like they got to, like, reinvent the wheel in terms of adding yeah. some cool new mechanic into the game, which can end up just being really unfun to play against. Like, man... That first Akali rework where he where she could shroud under your tower. Yeah. And then attack oh you God. and then just hide in the shroud and not draw any tower aggro. Like, honest to God, what were they thinking? What is that? What yeah, were they what thinking? is that? And even like the first Irelia alt, like while the rework was like, I think really good for the most part, like the alt would disarm you if you walked into it. Like hello? Like that is like there's like no counterplay there. Like if you're an ADC and you get ulted by a relic, you instant you have to flash out or like you have to be able to get out of the ult without actually walking into it, or you just again no counterplay, couldn't return any fire, and there's just an Irelia on top of your nuts. Next on the list was dragon changes. So not we talked about elder, but I mean just the regular dragon changes. Any thoughts on those? Uh, I it's hard to say. I mean I like the initial change to the elemental drakes but before season 10 when they added dragon souls and the big elder buff like when it was initially you would just get a larger stat boost for killing an elemental drake and sometimes you'd get like i don't know like three whatever mountain drakes and yeah it gave you a lot of armor and mlr but not to a point where you have like mountain soul or whatever now which just gives you this insane amount of extra stats like Mountain Soul, Infernal Soul, and even Ocean Soul to some degree are still like really, really strong, powerful buffs that, again, can kind of sometimes just decentivize like your team wanting to try. And it just feels like the game can be over once those things happen. And it did feel like while there was a lot of stats being given in the previous versions of the Drakes, it didn't give you this like demoralizing feeling like, oh, we lost Soul, they have this big major buff now, and it's kind of GG. I think there's a lot of mixed feelings with with dragon uh, with the dragon things over the like almost any time any iteration of dragon there's a lot of mixed feelings with the current one a lot of people don't like the RNG of which drag uh, which soul it's going to be and which map you get and, and like I kind of agree I think anytime RNG is put into the game it, it's not exactly a good thing uh, mind you I think League of Legends has not too much RNG in it I'll say so they're they're pretty good on that side but yeah I also wish that dragons were fought over more. Um, being able to just give up drag and say, eh, whatever, isn't something that I'm too happy with. But I think that if you were to buff the individual dragons, maybe they would be a little bit too crazy and too insane. Sometimes you do just have to give up an objective. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. Overall, I think the dragons are okay. I don't love them. I don't hate them. Yeah, like even, um, in, the, even in the version now, I would prefer it if they actually buff the individual stats of the drakes and then nerf the souls a little bit because it yeah. does make it, as you mentioned, more incentive to fight early on for those drags but it's yeah. not completely game ending if you don't end up with the soul i agree yeah um next on the list was dynamic queue a little throwback there oy, not, oy. Many, not many people like dynamic queue go next <laughs> next on the list was the runes and mastery rework that they did a couple that's years like, ago that's like a close second for me behind the whole elder drakes because it just brought like they're so op a lot of the runes they just added so much like when people talk nowadays about like power creep in terms of there being so much damage in the game or there being so much healing in the game like a lot of it has to do with these runes like you added runes like electrocute plus like cheap shot and all these other various things that can just give champions an insane amount of extra damage or extra healing it just brought a bunch of these champions and play styles into the fold where 
you're now playing these super high damage champions that can take electrocute or these super sustained champions that end up taking like ravenous hunter and fleet footwork and can either just stay in lane forever or just deal a bunch of damage forever and i think i felt like it made like a bit of an unhealthy like yeah power creep in the game so it is unhealthy because the, the there's too much value on these runes, right? Like they're just too OP and there's not enough weight in like the actual champion or the player like uh, piloting the champion. There's so much weight that's put into how good some of the runes are. But mm. I will say the good thing about it is that you you no longer had the pay to win system where you had to buy with our with IP rather uh, the runes or that you used to have so that's a good thing i suppose but, but the thing yeah is, i do I think even... they need to take away some of the power from runes i would say. i never thought that that was a problem like i think i thought it was, it was a small problem i, I didn't think, think it, it was a major problem i think it was a problem like before level 30 like yeah if you were mm. like starting off the game and you were using all of your ip and whatnot to buy champion like that's what everyone did like at least that's what i did like when i was a new player i was using all my ip to buy champions not the runes yeah. so a lot of the times exactly, but that's what be... puts you at a disadvantage though right like but that's at, what at like, that's the, not at the same time like once you've reached level 30 you've played the game enough to have enough runes and have enough champions where that didn't matter so like the only times where I ever felt like those other you know those old rune pages were a problem was the pre-level 30 but like come on like you shouldn't be catering your game to the pre-level 30 people it should be to your post-level 30 people which is yeah, one to me, thing though, I you couldn't afford all of the runes by the time you were level 30. But you didn't Metas need all the runes. Like, you needed a bunch of different... I don't know about that. Metas change. Anyways, I think that it was a good change getting rid of the old rune system. Having to pay IP for them, I don't think was a good thing. I mean, I like I that they the, got rid the of that. The they made was good. I just think that they have, again, too much power in the runes. But that that's just where I fall off. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think a rework was probably needed, but at the same time, they've just put too much power into the current runes. Like, I think if you yeah. just slashed all of the runes right now by a certain percentage, whether that's like 20%, 33%, even 50%, I think would be Whatever good. it is, right? Because yeah. there's a ton I'm of sure healing in the runes. There. There's a ton of damage in the runes. There's a ton of utility in these runes. Oh my god. Can we just go back to, like, the start of the runes reworked thing when you could take boots and stopwatch in the same tree and stopwatch was a thing at six minutes that, like... Free 900 gold in your runes. Oh, my God. That was horrid. Yeah. There yeah. was just... I, everyone no, had I a agree. stopwatch six minutes into the game. Five, like, ten people in the game were taking stopwatch in, the, in that time. Yeah. Um. Anyways, next on the list was the removal of the interdivision promos. Like pretty that. good change right yep. yeah i i don't think you, there was way too many promo games it felt like you were always in promos and whenever you got griefed it felt even worse because the you were promo in promos police. i think less promos is better i i, I think that what the, the change they've done for that has been pretty good um there's baron buff uh baron buff you used to not be able to get baron minions so how the hell do you siege when you know yeah. when there's just crazy wave clear from like an oriana or ziggs or whatever ziggs was used to be crazy in meta before baron buff came around um, and not for good reasons. Don't get me wrong. I love Ziggs, but that's not the kind of Ziggs I want to see. I don't want to just see wave clear. So that was kind of. Um, and then Aram was on the list. Aram did not always exist in League of Legends. I don't remember when they implemented it. It's quite some time ago. But Aram was the thing that was once not a thing. So I think that's something that even though not everyone plays Aram, people that do play Aram love it. People love Aram. So that was a, a pretty good change. Um, In-game pings. Yeah not always around dude you don't even have like in league you have no voice comms imagine you had no pings you'd literally just be you'd like always have typing to type 24 7 you'd yeah. be you'd be perma typing missing or back off or help me 
every like every like three i told seconds, you like, he was coming and you're like hey well i'm trying to do all this stuff i'm not reading chat because you know yeah anyways good uh, league without pings it's hard to imagine that it used to be a thing mm -hmm. and then the last one on the list uh, again all, all of these from the reddit comments but remakes didn't used to exist kind of forget that remakes weren't always around they just implemented that i don't know what four or five years ago maybe four years ago i feel like i don't remember exactly how long but remakes is nice uh god it sucked having to play a full game with someone afk and yeah, having the remake that. system is obviously something that's really nice um yeah that's that's all of them from reddit but guys uh, we do want to hear your guys input because there's so many changes over the years if there's some that we missed let us know um if there's any you think of that we missed jnt feel free to throw them out but yeah guys make sure to put them in the comment section because i definitely liked going through the reddit comments and seeing what people thought about what changes they liked or disliked and it's just like a trip down memory lane having a look at these. So, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, and I really enjoyed this topic as well. So shout out to Annie's Finest for giving us the idea um, about a month ago. We knew we were going to do it eventually. And so it was nice to, to look at all these. I thought it was fun doing the, the Reddit posts and seeing all the things that people um, reminded me about anyways. Uh, let's do quick news, right? Mm -hmm. uh, take it away. What do we got for quick news? Uh, first up, something that happened fairly early in the week. Chrono Shift, one of the Riot Forge games that was being created, that was kind of teased uh, earlier in the year, is being shut down apparently. And there was this whole screenshot and Reddit post about this rioter who approached like one of the game devs telling them to shut down the game. And it was just a big like shit show in that whole Reddit thread. It was like the Zed guy, I think, was, uh, don't quote me on this, guys, but I, I did read it. It's just, it's been a little while now, but. He was like saying like shut down your guys stuff or like we'll have to send the lawyers in to do it it's like it was basically saying we're not suing you guys but if you don't shut down we're suing you guys is basically the gist of it that i was getting it was like oh my god just right away being like we're gonna sue like, yeah. wow maybe i don't know what the conversation happened before that but that went from zero to 60 real fast uh yeah so that it doesn't look like that's going to be happening it looked like chrono shift was supposed to be like classic league of legends um i don't know if that's exactly true but that's the idea that i got because they were chrono ship they're going back in time you know they wanted to maybe do no old league of be. legends I, I read a little bit about it but again it's been some time but it sounded like that's what they wanted to try and do maybe they would have come out with dominion again or, or something like that i don't like know dominion <laughs> or twisted tree line rip uh but that it looks like it's no longer happening so yeah. that's that's what happened there what's next uh Demonte, we got some news from him earlier in the week on his social media and when he was on Hotline League last night, uh, basically just said that he doesn't want to play mid lane on an academy slash amateur team, is still only interested in playing uh, if he's going to be getting a starting LCS spot, but he did bring up the possibility that he would be interested in role swapping if that meant he would get a spot, which was super interesting, I thought, because it kind of feels like it's kind of late in the game in terms of offseason to announce that you're open to role swapping. And I don't think that it'd be like a seamless transition to any role that wouldn't be top lane. Because I feel like those are the fairly comparable lanes. If you Because were like, he's on a solo lane. Yeah. Right? And the play lane. style of everything yeah. like that. Like obviously we saw who he have a lot of success when he roll swapped from mid to support. But that was something that was over a long period of time. And he played an academy for about a season and a half mm -hmm. to yep. get ready before he actually became the starter on golden guardians and i think if he's interested in role swapping for summer which is honestly not that far away i would think that the only viable option is probably top lane 
I'm just so curious. Like, I never would have even considered him role swapping, honestly. I never even thought about it. And I'm so curious as to what team would maybe be interested in him role swapping. It sounded like, it sounds like something that's so out of left field. Like, I just wasn't expecting it whatsoever. But anyways, uh, who knows? Maybe he goes back to Golden Guardians. I, I don't know. I just know he has ties there. So maybe they're the team that's considering him for a role swap. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, wish the best for Demonte. Hopefully he can figure out his stuff because he he's even considered doing some content creation or trying to get on like the LCS broadcast and stuff like that. He's thrown those ideas out as well, but he's basically said that right now everything's up in the air still and he doesn't exactly know what's happening. Yeah, he said he was pretty inspired by Cadrill and how he basically went right. from you know yeah. honestly how great his transition's been from competing in the LEC to becoming a. And he's a great a on-camera member, personality. Yeah. He's great. He, he's probably one of my favorite guys to, to listen to and cast and whatnot. Yeah. Next. Uh, similar um, sort of trend here. Nemesis said that he is going to skip on competing in summer in either the LCS or the LEC, if that means he'd be playing on a bottom team. Which makes sense, because I think we both are of the opinion that this guy is a top-level LEC guy. Therefore, if he's fielding LCS offers, get one from a top LCS team. I think he would join, and he definitely is still at that level. Yeah, we've said many times, you and I, that we think that he could still play in the LEC and probably play at a top level. Now, with taking off so much time, uh, it's not easy to say because um, he's been off for like five, six months, maybe seven if we go all back, all the way back to Worlds. And that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it definitely could be, guys. It definitely, it's, it's probably different for each player. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I would like to see him again, but who knows, right? If he doesn't want to play on a, on a bottom team, then there's just a good chance we don't see him. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, next up, with all the Proving Grounds hype and whatnot, TSM said they're making their own amateur team. A bunch of guys you never really heard of, but that's what academies are. I've heard of Gorica for. before, or Gorica. I've seen that name. I don't know how to say okay. it, but I've seen the name for sure, the uh, the bottom laner. I don't know who that uh, is. Uh, yeah, I don't remember where I've seen it. Maybe it's just Solo Q that I've seen his name or something. I, I don't remember where I've seen it, but I've definitely seen it. Um, another thing, too, with TSM that... Um, is worth mentioning is that they actually made some moves to their academy roster. I'm seeing it right here. They announced their new jungler, uh, War Machine Hyper. Uh, that's at least his Twitter handle anyways. Oh. And then Takeover Mid is, is his Twitter handle as well. I don't know if that's their actual names, but those are their Twitter handles at the very least. So right. some moves for academy as well. Okay. Uh, next up, former Team Liquid coach, Coach Kane, joining Afrika Freaks. Yeah, I mean, Kane's been around in the LCS for quite some time. Most uh, Team Liquid fans will know exactly who he is. He's had some success with Team Liquid when he was there, but he's he's been around coaching for quite some time now. And uh, it's I'm happy to see him get another opportunity, and hopefully he can turn a struggling Afrika Freaks into a more successful Afrika Freaks. Yeah, and maybe he can turn around. Bang's career around to bring back SKT Bang, perhaps. Am I counting on it? No, but I hope so anyway. We will see. Uh, Riot announced their MSI on-air talent bunch of fucking people a lot of people from lcs lc lck lec and lpl what'd you say it was 24 people something like 24 that? people i'll go through them we got azale captain flowers dash kobe pastry time freak and raz from the lcs uh quick shot lore ender medic shocks whippo cadrill dracos vedius from the lec and then you have clement i don't know who that i i think i've seen this guy before he's probably lpl and Dagda, I've seen him before on the LPL as well, and Lyric. And then LCK, we got Atlas, Wadid, Chronicler, Valdez, and for some reason, they brought Wolf to this thing. Huh. Uh, 
I don't look. My goal of this podcast isn't to just hard flame. That's not what. But guys, I'm telling you, I I don't know why Wolf is a caster. I think he is so bad. I I can't believe he casts. L- he makes LCK difficult to watch. That is just my my mm. honest opinion. I, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I actually don't. I genuinely think he has no idea. It, anyways, that's that's enough of that. But they're bringing Wolf. And, and you, I don't know, Mark Z's not even going. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there, there's a lot of NA talent that's going. And Mark Z and Wolf don't exactly fill the same role. But it's just, I see Wolf going and Mark Z not. And it's just like, damn. <laughs> damn, man. Uh, but anyways, that, that's a way it be. So, lots of names. Lots of cool people, though. I'm not going to let one guy that I don't like casting ruin all the others that are all great, right? So, mm. Yeah. Uh, other NA Academy stuff? Golden Guardians, they're dropping Tally, former OCE top laner from Legacy, adding Solo, and they're also adding Croissant to their academy coaching staff. Yeah. Hmm. Solo's back. Solo signed to Academy, we think. So okay, look, he signed to Academy. Let's let's that's what has happened. There has been no mention of him playing LCS, not yet anyways, or not that I've heard of. But, I mean, we're all thinking it, right? Aren't we all thinking it? Like, ooh, uh-huh. I wonder if Solo's going to go into the LCS. Like, you, I think you and I both think that's going to happen, right? Week three. You're, you're going week three. Right it, after it is week interesting. three. There's a chance to me that it might be right off the bat. Now, I, I'm not saying that's what will happen, but I'm saying there's a chance that happens, uh, which is really weird because they've been so vocal about how Niles is their guy and they want to develop him. Um but I, I just think it's been so obvious that he's out of place and not ready to play in the LCS yet. And now you have another option of a guy that's been to Worlds. Maybe he, that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best top laner, but he's a good top laner. And we know that he's an LCS level top laner. And I, honestly, I just think he should be starting. But I mean, they have way more information than us. I, I do trust Enero and Danon and Hunter, all the guys over at Golden Guardians to do what's best for their org. And so whatever they decide, I guess, is cool with me. Um, even though I might not be happy about it, I know I trust these guys. I think they're very smart about what they do, and so whatever they think is fine. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think Solo will be starting before the end of summer. Not that crazy of a hot take. Um, I, I want to pick a week, though. If you picked a week, I think I should pick a week. Um, hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll come back to it after. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think between week three and four. After after week three, before week four. I'm just going to say, you know there. what? I'm just going to say they're going to start with Solo. I could be wrong, but I'm going to go with that. I'm just going to say right off the hop, maybe they say that things have changed and blah, 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 and Solo goes right in. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to go with that. All righty. Uh, back to some more non-League of Legends news, but still Riot news. Uh, Arcane... Their animated series that they previewed on their 10th anniversary yes. stream is supposed to be on Netflix in the fall. Yes, Fall 2021. Man. Let's go. Uh, this was delayed uh, because of COVID. So, like, it's something that could have already been released or probably should have already been released. COVID happened. Uh, we don't need to talk about COVID. Shit happens. But we're getting it. And we're getting it this fall. And it's on Netflix, which a lot of people have Netflix, so it's pretty accessible to a lot of people. And I think it'll be cool to see what Riot can do with some of their lore and some of the Terra stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited, and uh, yeah, I think it should be pretty darn cool. Another thing from their 10-year anniversary stream that was teased, Project L, 
their fighting game. If you don't remember, that was the whole Darius and Ari thing that was going on in that stream. Uh, they announced that they're not really planning a beta anytime soon. <clears throat> yep. So I will read the tweet that Tom Cannon uh, put out. It says, uh, glad you're hyped for Project L. The game is on track with many core systems in place, but we still have ways to go. Please do not expect a beta, public or private, anytime soon and definitely not this year. Uh, he says, we're planning a dev update for around the end of this year to share more about the game. Until then, sit tight. So it looks like we're going to have to wait till the end of this year for more stuff on it. There's a chance they tease a little bit at MSI, as I think you've mentioned. I think um, so. So maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But it looks like the game won't be out for a little while still. But I mean, I, I still think that um, that's fine. Like you, you want, you don't want anything to be rushed, right? You want them to do it right. And I also want to shout out uh, Valorant because Valorant's been doing great as far as their esports division is concerned. I think that viewership just continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me wonder if Project L will become the next premier um, fighting game. Who knows? Riot's had a lot of success with their esports. And so maybe, maybe uh, Project L is the new premier fighting game. That is yet to be seen. And, and maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But uh, yeah, some pretty exciting things for Riot esports fans. Mm -hmm. Is that it? it? Yeah, that's it. That is everything for this episode. Uh, just so you guys know, next week our episode is planned for Tuesday at 8 p.m. EST. <clears throat> Excuse me. 8 p.m. EST, 5 p.m. PST. Uh, so that's the current plan for now. It is going to, things are kind of weird with MSI, with the MSI schedule. So there's a chance we have to change. Uh, but for now, that's when we'll be live. So if you guys want to catch the live show, Go over to twitch.tv slash podcast and follow us on there. And yeah, like I said, that's our plan for now. Um, if something changes, we'll do our best to update you guys. But uh, we think the next two episodes are going to be on Tuesdays, probably around that time. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just huge shout out to everyone uh, that keep coming back. Your guys' support has been great. And we do apologize that this episode came out late. Uh, I had some internet issues and we didn't want to release a poor quality episode and so you gotta roll with the punches and so that's what we're doing um and also guys we are affiliate on twitch now we need some subs <laughs> so if you guys like our content please do support us um yeah it, it just goes a really long way hit the like button hit the subscribe button on twitch and youtube if you can it means a lot to us and you guys have been great so thank you guys so much for all of your support we will see you guys next week and this has been episode 40 of the clown fiesta podcast <laughs>